Much like He-Man, I have the power! Okay, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 45 of the Whatever Show. Um, we have so much stuff for a midsummer show, I think. Yeah. We have uh, so many comics. Uh, Rebirth just absolutely... Um, Rebirth just got Afterbirth all over everything. Yeah. Yep. Pretty much. Um, we've got some news in the Flaro universe. Actually, that kind of is heating up now because now we got a lot of uh, pre-season set rumors and all that kind of shit. So lots of good stuff there. We've got Marvel News Gambit movie. Again, maybe. Sort of. Uh, I totally want a Gambit movie. I do too. I'm not... I don't know. It's Channing Tatum, so I'm, I'm not, like, over the top, like... Yeah, it's true. I mean, I've yet to be convinced that Channing Tatum can actually act. He was pretty good in 21 Jump Street and 22 Jump Street. Don't get me wrong, he's great in those movies. And, you know, he played a relatively convincing dude in the guy, Joe. Yeah. My wife would maybe watch one of those uh, Nicholas Sparks movies, though, with him in it, and I was like, oh my god, I can't believe this. First off, I can't believe this movie is a thing, and then secondly, like, he's not good. Yeah, that's um, we've got some other news too. Uh, some of us have been playing a little uh, video game uh, called Pokemon Go. Oh, I gotta tell you, yeah, these Pokemon gotta catch them all. Some, some, some of us, like basically the entire world. Actually, it seems like the entire world is playing this game at this point. Like everybody's wandering around, even more, uh, 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 you know, stuck in their phones. But at least there's a camera and they can see where they're going most of the time, kind of. Sort of, unless you're like being turned off because your phone runs like shit if you try and use the camera yeah. while you're catching Pokemon. Yeah. All right, let's get to it. Uh, DC News starting off with Malcolm Merlin uh, has been signed on to appear across the whole CW-verse. That's John Barrowman, for those of you who may only be familiar with him in Doctor Who or Torchwood. Yeah. Uh, so, John Barrowman. First off, Captain Jack. The world needs more Barrowman, so I'm okay with this. Second, he seems to get some pretty great shots of Willa's ass, so I'm doubly okay with this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this is actually kind of cool. I hope they don't... I hope they, like, de-bastardize the role that they've given him to, because I don't know... Like, I guess he could run around the entire, you know universe going i was raz al ghul and then making people do dumb shit but they kind of neutered him this last episode on or this last season on arrow yeah a little bit but i like him like i do he's a good character um i just thought it was funny because this last this last season uh barrowman you know merlin was like oh i'm gonna get i'm gonna get ollie and you're like but he already made you his bitch like yeah 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 raise your hand if uh you're totally gonna get ollie oh sorry yeah, yeah. Like, come on malcolm you, you tried this already a whole bunch yep like done to death um but, uh, I, they didn't mention supergirl in this article really so just do you think just the flash just legends or uh, uh an arrow or do you think this is, that's just oversight i don't know yeah i mean honestly it's could be uh it could be a number of things it could be the negotiations were kind of complete before they decided that supergirl was going to move to that network uh, I don't know. Or it could be it could speak to them still to have planning on keeping Supergirl in a separate sort reality. Of, yeah. See, but they they did the same thing I think with uh, uh, Wentworth Miller as uh, Captain Cold. But I'm pretty sure he's going to be in Supergirl. I think they said across the entire line. So that'd be rad. Um. Yeah. 
I may, may, I'm hoping actually. I I kind of hope that this you know website just got it wrong. The well, nerdist. The nerdist. Yeah. I mean, just a you know small time publication, much like <coughs> ourselves. Yeah. Um. And it just the details they got didn't include Supergirl. So I mean, we don't know. That's that. I I don't want to read anything into it. Obviously. I just almost killed Deadpool. Yeah, I mean, do I, you can't really, but yeah, I just almost knocked him off the table. That, that of course, is a lovely rendition of Deadpool that uh, Matt's daughter painted this evening. Um, little dog guy. He's got a it's name, a, probably. It's a what is it called? It's a a money. A money. I it not like dollar money, but like M U N N Y. Yeah, got him out of a loot crate um, a year ago. Yeah, somewhere on there. Cool. And he's washable, so he comes with little markers, and you can draw on them, and then wipe them off, and start over. Yeah, and of course, what what does Matt's wonderful daughter do? She draws Deadpool. Because uh, Matt's a good parent, basically. Yeah. She's 12. Yeah. She, she gets it. Um, Maybe okay. I'll take a picture of it and we'll put it up in the show notes. Okay, next up, we've got some He-Man news, right? Yeah. And Thundercats, actually. So we've got uh, He-Man and the Thundercats are going to join first forces in a new comic book crossover. Why is this in DC? Am I um, missing something? Or did you just paste wrong? No, it's in DC. Because DC owns the publisher, Oh, right? DC owns that, that... For the that... Mattel characters. Interesting. Um... I'll, I'll, I'll kind of take the lead on this one because I actually have read uh, the last two He-Man series, three He-Man series, if you count the limiteds. Um, <coughs> excuse me. I um, So for about four, five, six, seven years, I've been reading He-Man comics since DC kind of took over as, as a publisher for them. Mm-hmm. They've been really good. That's interesting. You know, this is really funny because uh, He-Man, Thundercats, and a lot of the stuff that I love from growing up is basically just shitty cartoons to sell toys. Like, uh, like going back and watching them now is kind of super painful because we've got, like, good cartoons and stuff like that. I mean, I love them as a kid, but, um, you know, you don't see through those kid lenses quite as much as anymore. Right. Um, you know, and all these characters, essentially, you know, especially Transformers. Transformers probably the most uh, um, emblematic of that uh, created just to sell toys. He-Man um, was technically the first. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it was legit yeah. the first cartoon that was developed specifically to sell toys. Yeah. So, kind of interesting because, you know, in those days, like, uh, I think the Paul Dini episode of Fat Man was talking about that because uh, Paul Dini wrote on He-Man for a while, actually. He, did, like, he didn't have a good time working for the um, that particular group, but, yeah. yeah it, but, but he was kind of saying, like, you know, like, the, the thing was, you know, crank out a bunch of shows. And, uh, you know, we did some things that were interesting, but, you know, most of it was, you know, sort of throwaway storylines. Yeah. So, this series, actually, I'm, I'm intrigued about because I've been a fan of both he-man and thundercat since i was a kid oh yeah they're they're super cool ideas it, it's uh almost been a shame that <coughs> they, they didn't get taken a little bit more seriously uh sooner yeah um the writer that's going to be doing this is the same writer and i, I forgive me because i forget his name but it'll be in the show notes i uh, keep um, talking i'll find it out it um he's the same writer that wrote um the last he-man series that dc published which was he-man the eternity war which is phenomenal like i really enjoyed it because it he did something that a lot of guys have not been able to do well with He-Man, and that is introduced um, She-Ra into the continuity and made it make sense. So, Rob David. Yeah, Rob David. And uh, Lloyd Goldfine with art by Freddie E. Williams II. Uh, David, it says, is Mattel's head writer and lead creative person for the Masters of the Universe franchise, while Goldfine is supervising producer for the company. Yeah. So, yeah, you can see that in the Nerdist article we're going to post in the show notes. But, uh, yeah, this is a cool idea. I can't believe I'm probably going to read a He-Man comic. Basically, I, I should give you some back issues so you can you can read some of the stuff he's done yeah. because it's actually really good. Um, 
That's totally exciting because I, I like really want it to be good. Yeah, the the premise is that um, Mumra comes to Eternia basically uh, to steal He-Man's sword because it's the only sword that he can think of that would rival Lionel's Sword of Omens, nice. which is kind of cool because nice. those are both mystic pieces of hardware. Um, that, that I like it too because that actually that starts off sounding a little bit like it could have been a show plot. Like yeah. Like if they had ever done an animated you know, crossover, one hour TV movie, sort of, you know, Saturday special type of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. <clears throat> He-Man Thundercats Christmas special, something like that. Exactly. Um, except for, you know, not sure like the Star Wars one. No, come on. You got to bring the white Wookiees in. Yeah. All right. Sure you do. <laughs> anyway, He-Man Thundercats crossover. Uh, you, you know, eight-year-old me is just incredibly happy to see you just, this. Just thing. a little bit. Yeah. yeah, a little bit. Didn't even know what was going on because I was only eight at the time. Why is my underwear sticky? Yeah. Uh, we have some other news. And uh, actually, much to our chagrin, we're not part of this record-breaking Batman the Killing Joke uh, uh, story. But um, apparently, the Killing Joke is breaking records and uh, is adding 300 more theaters to its limited release. People want to see this movie on the big screen. Dude, yeah. We're going to go. We're going to go. Yeah. We, we, are... might even, we might even come back and podcast about it afterward. I'm not sure yet. We may. We it's may. It's on a Monday. We might. Well, that'd be in- interesting. It wouldn't be impossible. Yeah. So, I'm excited. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's. I mean, I can't really say much more than that. I'm super excited we, about we've it. We've gushed. We've absolutely gushed over this movie many times yet? on the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a trailer. Dude, we should probably throw that up. We did the trailer on the show. Did we? No. Yeah. There's a new trailer. A new new. Like, like it's not even new. Like, actually, it's it's actual footage. Like, no, I'm pretty sure we did that. Of Batman walking in. Yeah, and so. sitting down and talking to the Joker. I'm pretty sure. Like the whole scene? Not the whole scene. Yeah. Maybe there was, not the there whole was a good scene. portion of the scene like that. I don't know. Supposed- you, you know, like I'm sure people are at home listening to this, like wanting to throw shit at us because <coughs> they know the answer to this question. Like, and we don't. And we, we make the show. Barely. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah. So this doesn't surprise me all that much because number one, uh, superhero, anything on the big screen is like, uh, almost a shoe in at this point. Uh, secondarily, fantastic four. So, yeah. In which case people will throw money at you to not put your movie in the theaters. Well, that's the other thing too. You can't just make any shitty movie. Like you can sometimes like Batman versus Superman. Not a great movie made a ton of money. Here's my honest and sincere hope is much like the Richard Donner cut of Superman two. I hope that like 20 years down the line, like, there's something that happens with with the rights and and Marvel's just like you know what we're gonna throw out the Josh Trank director's cut, the original cut of this movie. I I kind of want them to because that's either gonna vindicate the hell out of him or just absolutely tell you know everybody that he can shove it up his ass because yeah. he doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah, because uh, what I saw the movie sucked dick. So yeah, I still haven't watched it. I did. I it was, I've, it was not good. Maybe one of these days, like I'll get drunk and hate watch it or something like that. Like. Yeah, like probably like the, the kind of thing do. you just sit there and watch, and then you also hit yourself in the dick with a hammer at the same time, <laughs> just because you're feeling self destructive or something. Yeah, yeah. I need to feel something, and apparently it's going to be pain. Yeah. Uh, um, but yeah. So the and the other thing, you know, it's the killing joke. Uh, it's the killing joke. Not only is it the killing joke being probably one of the biggest <laughs> Batman stories ever. Uh, you know, a long-awaited fan. Uh, um especially for the fans long-awaited movie you know on the big screen uh or telling of the, the story on a big screen um but secondarily fucking conroy and hamill man 
Yeah. Um, and this kind of goes back to, to some of the, the Fat Man on Batman episodes that we listened to with Paul Dini and stuff. But my understanding is is fans have been calling for this movie essentially since they put out Mask of the Phantasm theatrically. And it, it I mean, it didn't do well because they didn't market it for shit. But the, the Batman fans that watched it yeah. loved it and were just like, why can't we do the killing joke? If you that, can put this in the theater, why can't we do this? That's exactly what I was thinking too. Um, I, I think Dini mentioned that specifically. Like there was a fan, you know, a lot of fan push to do the Killing Joke. And actually, I think when I was listening to the Hamill episode, Hamill brings up the Killing Joke way it, back when, before this was a thing. Like, yeah, and he's kind of like, "Hell yeah!" But they're, they're never going to do it. Sort maybe, of but, thing. but he said, "Yeah, I, I would. Why wouldn't I?" That was kind yeah, of his remark. He's like, "Why wouldn't I do that?" At the time, I think he he had just gotten done doing Arkham City. Yeah, and that was supposed to be like, uh, or last one. long, long rumored to be his last one, essentially. And on the show, he backpedals a little bit, and he kind of says, you know, like uh, th- that wasn't going to be my last one. It was just going to, you know, whatever. But uh, he specifically mentions the Killing Joke, and if they ever did well, it, he'd want to do it. So that interview was kind of telling too, because um, he was at that point he was feeling really frustrated, um, specifically because of the video game industry and how they don't operate on royalties like, like movies do or music does. Um, essentially he got paid a set amount to, to do the voice work for the Joker in that particular video game. Uh, well, the first two Arkham Asylum and Arkham city. And, um, the game went on to, to do billions of dollars worth of sales. Oh, Arkham city was huge. He reaps no additional reward for that. You know, there was not even a, if it does this amount of money, you'll get a bonus or anything like that. <laughs> I it think was... he makes a joke about like how he got like a hat, yeah, got, like a baseball cap. <laughs> yeah. Um, so if he had decided to hang up the hat and, and call it a day at the end of that, like I, I kind of would understand that. But I think his point was as frustrated as he was, um, if they were to approach him and say, hey, we're going to do this, do you want to do it? He would be in regardless. Yeah. And that's kind of the impression I got from listening to that interview. And he. And, Obviously, he, this is happening. So you know, with this character, he seems like the type of guy that. Um, I mean, obviously, actors are doing their job for the money. Uh, uh, at least, not you know, a lot of them. Uh, maybe not entirely. Obviously, they probably hopefully enjoy acting, and usually, the better ones tend to enjoy doing the actual job. Um, but it, it seemed to me like his, his you know, sort of uh, opinion on that was like, I'd do it for free. Like, if they came up to me and said, "We're going to do the Killing Joke, and we've got zero dollars to pay you," he probably still would have been like, "All right, yeah." Yep. I can see him doing that. Yeah. Um, but, of course, that's not true because, you know, Warner Brothers is huge and The Killing Joke is going to be a pretty big deal. And, and they've almost figured out how to market stuff. Almost. I, I actually still don't understand why they don't make a bigger deal out of their animated properties. Yeah. Like, it, it's, it's like surprising to me. Like a TV spot at the end of a fucking cartoon or something like that isn't really doing it It's really surprising to me that I never know when it, DC's coming out with a new animated property, except for the fact that I follow, like, these really incredibly small, niche sort of, um, um, you know, websites and subreddits and so on. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like the WWE with their WWE network, because they have pay-per-views that... I mean, let's face it, like people don't spend 50 or $60 in pay-per-views anymore. I mean, I doubt their buy rate through cable or satellite is, is shit anymore, because... You can pay $10 a month and get the pay-per-view on your computer, on your TV, wherever you want to watch it. Some of these that they're doing are literally network-only pay-per-views, and they still plug the fucking shit out of the network on the network. They're like, just nine ninety nine, and I'm like... I'm paying you already. Yeah, I, like, I, I know that. Otherwise, I wouldn't be hearing your stupid ad. Yeah, 
That's actually kind of well. That part is not smart, but uh, thinking about it, I, the a whole idea of getting the network for ten bucks a month and getting all the pay per views probably makes a lot of goddamn sense. Because I don't know about you, but like even in my heyday of wrestling, like I would maybe would have paid for WrestleMania. Like WrestleMania is sixty bucks right now if you wanted an HD. Yeah. Just just for that one. So I'm just saying, like me or or like me and you and a couple of other guys may have gotten together and paid, you know, split right. the wrestle, split the pay per views or something like that. Uh, but I'm sure, like, they extract more money from fans because they're willing to pay ten bucks a month. Dude, it's it's crazy. Um, I mean, literally, the same sixty dollars gets you WrestleMania and the next five pay per views as well. You know yeah. what I mean? So I mean, it makes sense. And this isn't an advertisement for the WWE network. I mean, I was just drawing a, a parallel between WB's stupid marketing when it comes to their animated shit and yeah. some other stupid marketing decisions. But yeah, yeah, it, it's uh, a little silly because they've got such a backlog of good stories they could tell, and actually would probably be better served by the animated universe uh, that they just don't do. And finally, I think this is an example of one of them of like, why have you not done this story yet? Uh, and really taking it seriously and i hope i hope this is as good as i want it to be um you know same thing with the animation like they they could spend the box on the animation like that's one of the complaints i think we've had about the trailer so far is that the animation looks a little rocky um uh, so i don't get why they're not spending the money on that because it's probably a shoe in to make some money for them yeah i agree so anyway in a couple weeks on a monday night me and eddie are going to be in a theater watching the killing joke yep on to some other Flash rumors. Uh, so the Flash TV show, of course, uh, because who the fuck cares about Ezra Miller as the Flash? <coughs> Not us. Not yet, uh, anyway. Yeah, we'll yeah, see. It's going to take a lot. Um, but Kevin Smith has confirmed he's going to be directing another Flash episode, specifically season uh, or episode seven of season three. And he talks a little bit about how he would do onomatopoeia on the show. And we've got that link in the show notes. And much to my chagrin, I was most interested in the fact that he's going to direct again. And I didn't actually even read the article. Onomatopoeia is um, one of his villains that he introduced in the uh, Cacophony Ooh. limited series that he did with uh, Walt Flanagan. Do you and think there's a chance that they're actually going to bring that to the show? Or is this? I don't know. It'd be cool because Onomatopoeia, um, if you're not familiar with the term anyway, like his whole thing is when he does things, he makes the sound that would be written on a piece of paper when he says it. So if he is shooting a gun at you he literally says bang bang, bang. <laughs> uh, that's exactly what i expected it to be actually yeah like i don't know what else you would expect from that um yeah they're definitely not doing that right now he actually <coughs> um they're talking a little bit about it and he says you know i haven't heard anything back from arrow and it's probably because mark guggenheim's a giant douchebag but um oh that's another thing that we got to talk about before we move on from this that's in the that's not in the show notes that i meant to mention but we'll come back to anyway um he talks about how he would do it on a monopoeia in Arrow, except for, you know, nobody will call him back, but he's definitely coming back to The Flash. So, great, Kev. Uh, we love you, and you did an amazing episode uh, with The Runaway Dinosaur. Um, that was one, one of my, I think, probably one of my favorite episodes of The Flash. And and I know you got your other shit going on, too. You're doing Rats as a TV series and all that kind of stuff, but I'm kind of with uh, Grant Gustin on this, and you should do four a year. Dude, yeah. Like, there, there's no reason not Just, to. Yep. Come on, man. Yeah. Yeah, and because uh, you know eventually what would happen is he'd get a little bit more into the story. Like, he'd be a little bit more involved in the story. And, you know, there's lots of things Kevin can do, and writing dialogue and story is definitely one of them. Yeah. So, anyway, uh, we, we'd like to see more of that. And, uh, you know, I think pretty much universally, like, that's not even less like us being, like, hugely on Kevin's nuts or anything like that. It's, like, uh, uh, pretty much unanimously that episode was uh, uh, well-received. So Yeah, like, really, really well-received. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Anyway, 
the thing that I wanted to mention before we move on from this, and uh, this, this I think uh, gives me just the slightest glimmer of hope, and that's uh, on the Whatever You Show Twitter, uh, at Whatever You Show, of course, I retweeted um, or tweeted about uh, Stephen Amell listing his favorite uh, episodes from Arrow. <laughs> Curiously absent anything from after season four. Season, mid season, no mid season three. Oh, anything after that? So yeah. when Roz stabbed him and he falls off the thing, which uh, I think is about the time that the show really fell off too. Uh, you know, it's funny because he seems to agree with us, but that was his last favorite episode was season three, episode nine. I'm I'm gonna call you out on something. Um, we both really enjoyed the the season three, uh, the finale episodes, or at least the 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 two or three episodes at the end of the season of season three. Yeah, I'd say that's fair. I I do remember having some criticism or complaint about it. Like, uh, I didn't I didn't think the Raz fight was very good at the yep. end. Like, definitely the the mid season, uh, the the one that Amel likes to <coughs> episode nine, that was definitely I think the better of the uh, Razzle Ghoul fights. But um, yeah, I think we did like it at the time. Like, it definitely wasn't the steaming pile of shit that ep- uh, season four has become. Which is again too bad because I really enjoy Damian Dark as a as a villain or what he could have been as a villain. Oh yeah, the idea the idea was there. Um, it just was executed horribly. Yeah. Um. So anyway, I just I I think it's um I don't know. I thought it was kind of interesting to me that uh, he seems to agree with us. So you know, and how shitty must that be? Like when you're the actor, the lead on a on a show, and you're just like, oh fuck, man, you're gonna make me say this shit like that. You know, he's just standing there like across from Guggenheim going, are are you serious right now? Yeah, like that's what we're going to do. Yeah. Um, you know, because as I think specifically the question wasn't like, what's your favorite episodes? It's like, what were your favorite moments of what were your favorite, you know, things to do on Arrow? And it was like specifically those sets of episodes, which were all really good episodes. In fact, if you wanted to take like a best of, you know, Arrow so far, he's probably not far from what we would pick uh, with his, you know, four or five that he did. Um, but yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. Uh, just man. I feel bad for the guy because he's a good actor and I really like him as the Arrow. Season one and two are great. Season three, uh, up until the midpoint, was great. The back half of season three wasn't even terrible. Had some dumb shit in it. Penicillin T, for example. Dumb shit. Uh, But not nearly like the season four level of bad. Well, it's kind of like... And I'm going to draw a wrestling analogy again, which Eddie really likes, but... Yeah. um, Brock Lesnar. The dude's a beast. Yeah. And in fact, for those of you who may not have watched it, UFC 200 was last night as we record this. See, in fairness, I am the least sporty guy, uh, and uh, I did hear about this. Um, Brock Lesnar made his return to UFC um, in his first uh, match in uh, years. It's been years. Um, and he, he knocked off the, the number eight contender for the, the world heavyweight title um, in, in, I think, a single round. So anyway, he's a beast. Um, Vince McMahon spent a, a, a good portion of the last couple of years building him up to be an absolute monster. And he wasn't on TV every week, which I think if you're going to have an absolute monster who's an attraction, they shouldn't be. Um, yeah, when I think back to the big names, they weren't really there. Like when I was watching Stone Cold wasn't on every week. And when it was, it was kind of like a treat. Same thing with The Rock. It's yeah. on. Well, I mean, going into going into WrestleMania uh, three years ago, The Undertaker was 21-0. and And... They put him in a match with Lesnar, and Lesnar ended the streak. He left that as twenty-one and one. And if you're gonna have a guy end a twenty-one year reign of being undefeated at a specific event, he's the guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. So this is my problem with season three of Arrow. Like 
Brock Lesnar's been built up to be a monster. He beats The Undertaker. That would be like if he came out the next night on Raw and then Stardust pinned him. Yeah. Clean. Yeah. <laughs> because what happened is Ra's al Ghul killed Ollie in like the mid-season finale of season three. And, and they, they did show it like almost like puppetry. Like you could tell that Raz was just fucking with Ollie. Like, yeah. It wasn't even like a, you know, like, like a, it's... Gosh, what is this exact? Oh, it happened in Firefly. That's what I'm thinking of in the <laughs> Firefly episode where uh, Mal has a sword fight. He he, uh, the other crowd standing around him and and uh, Inara says something like, "Oh, he thinks he's doing well. He's just toying with him." Um, you know, that was kind of the same thing with Raz and Ollie. And then, of course, by the end of the season, uh, uh, Ollie's beaten Raz's ass. Like, I mean, not a hundred percent. Like, like he he took some took some blows too. But, like, the whole thing was, like, Malcolm Merlin, like, maneuvered himself into position to take over as the new Ra's al Ghul once that happened. And then, like, and then Q season four, and you see Ollie just beat the absolute fucking shit over the current Ra's al Ghul, like, with no challenge whatsoever. Yeah. Which, in fair, I, I mean, okay, so the, this isn't the most stupid thing, though, because um, Merlin wasn't Ra's al Ghul because he was a superior fighter. In fact, they kind of highlight that a little bit. He he won by scheming. But even still, Merlin was the season one baddie. He was a badass. Like, And then, of course, yeah, by the time we get to season uh, four, it's like, yeah, I'm just playing with this guy. You know, like, it's it's kind of like um, the exact opposite. Now, all of a sudden, Ollie can take down whatever he wants. And then, except for the next episode where he gets beat by a little girl wearing a heart uniform um, that's had all of four seconds of training. And, and I'm going to disagree with your stance on this, too, because... Um, Nissa remained part of the League of Shadows or the League of Assassins through the whole thing. And Nissa, if if uh, you got a point, Merlin Merlin this. obviously was supposed to be presented as a badass because otherwise Nissa would have challenged him for leadership and beat the fuck out of him and taken it because yeah, Nissa yeah. could based on what we see Ollie do later. You know. Yeah, you're right. <coughs> All right, I take it back. It was dumb. I know. I know. Okay. Um. Anybody who wants to read real Rosalgul stories. Um, not just TV stuff. Uh, go back to, and this is going to be taking a trip into the Wayback Machine, but go find some issues of Batman from 1970 when Denny O'Neill took over. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're going to read some amazing fucking stories about Ra's al Ghul because he introduced the character as well as that of, of, of Talia, who is the actual daughter of the demon. Yeah. There's no Nyssa. There is no Nyssa. Yeah, actually, that that didn't bother me too much. I will say this, and I don't think no, I'm going to take care. this one away. It didn't bother me that they did that. Like that's that I think is a natural like the way that they handled Raz in the show. Like it's not Razzle Ghoul the person; it's Razzle Ghoul is the title, and so on and so forth. Like that part didn't bother me too much. I did. I think we did get a little tiny hint at Talia. We did. Yeah. So that was fine. Like that 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 was actually a, a decently handled. Uh, way to do that i think like if you're going to tell comic stories and stuff like this and i think this is a point that marv made pretty well back in episode 20 when we interviewed him um you you got to kind of understand that these comic book characters are somewhat mercurial and they're up to the writer to change and add little things to and so on and so forth and if you don't accept that about you know these stories then you might as well get out because it is some big it is a big part of the whole medium everybody especially like with a character like batman like you can take batman and Eddie and I both have loved Batman for a long, long time. For sure. <laughs> and we like the same qualities about Batman. But given the chance to write Batman, Eddie could take a different direction with the character than I would. 
completely Definitely. just based on the fact that there are subtle nuances of what ultimately everybody thinks the dark knight is yeah and it's kind of hard to show because that's another thing like um all of these characters are are practically gods even batman who's the most human of them at least from a um you know power standpoint but you know when you think about it batman has all of these different multifaceted things like he's one of the world's greatest fighters he's also one of the world's greatest detectives he's also this brutally tortured you know emotional individual he's also just a tiny bit insane i think when it comes down to it maybe not insane but definitely damaged like he's definitely got some shit wrong with him and given the, you know the right writer it, it's expressed pretty well um you know he's also got this you know weird sort of loner thing except for then he's got the whole bat family so yeah it really depends on who's writing the character at the time and what they want to do with it's, him it's really funny that you say that because i um i listened to a fat man on batman episode uh, or it was actually a two-part episode with uh, a, a comic book writer named kyle higgins kyle higgins is basically the one who's responsible for the new 52 uh nightwing stories that we got mm-hmm. um from that all the way up until i think the end of the uh uh, whatever the whole villains thing was in the middle of the new 52 i don't remember the name of it <coughs> but he talked about um the differences between bruce wayne as batman and the time when dick grayson was batman and the differences between the two because dick grayson as much as he also lost his parents similar to what bruce did yeah um dick grayson doesn't carry that chip on his shoulder he no. he approaches things from a more positive he comes out a lot more healthy, like as, as healthy yeah. as you're going to be, like who is basically a guy in tights beating up, you know, bad guys at night. But yeah. And and so just the concept of, of uh, Dick Grayson being Batman was really intriguing to him. Um, and it is me, too, just because of the whole. I mean, there is a there's a large difference in in how each of these guys carries themselves. I can't remember, but one of the latest um, DC animated properties I want to say it's bad blood, but I don't think that's right because I think we talked about it on the show. It's a different one, um, but anyway, in one of the latest DC animated properties, that was a thing, like uh, Dick Grayson Batman, and it was starkly different. Like that was a thing in the comics too. Yeah, I really enjoyed it because it really kind of um, highlighted, you know, how different Dick Grayson would be as Batman versus, you know, of course Bruce. Um, yeah. Yeah. There anyway. was there was a death of Bruce Wayne series, and um, following that, he was quote unquote dead and. Uh, Dick took over the mantle of the bat and Damien was his Robin and it was the dynamic between those two was pretty pretty stellar yeah okay we'll be right back after a refill yeah so Gambit movie might start filming next year yeah um, Channing Tatum here's the thing that doesn't that doesn't uh, do it for me when it comes to Channing Tatum number one I'm not saying he's going to do a bad job he might do a terrific job I'm just not convinced yet um, I really liked the kid that played Gambit in the X-Men Origins Wolverine movie. Yeah, I think I did too. Yeah. I thought he did a good job. I, I he, mean, it's one of the few things in that movie that I actually yeah. dug. Him and um, Liv Schreiber were fucking badass. Oh, yeah. Liv Schreiber is... Uh, um, what's Sabretooth. His name? Sabretooth, yeah. yeah. Um, amazing. I really like that role. Yeah. And um, I also really, 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 really dug Ryan Reynolds before they sewed his mouth shut. Oh, totally. Um, and the way they do, they were doing that, I was actually totally on board. And then I was like, "What? What did you just do? Yeah, that doesn't make sense at all. Why are you doing that?" Yeah. Um. Yeah. He's the merc with the mouth for a reason. Yeah, not so you can sew it shut. That doesn't make any sense. Bastardize him and make him give him Cyclops' powers and shit. Yeah, that was stupid. Incredibly. So, well, this is interesting, actually. Wait, wait, wait. No, I got to keep reading. <laughs> 
Yeah, never mind. All right. So yeah, definitely Channing Tatum as as Gambit. Uh, what uh, do you think they're going to do the Creole accent? Yeah, he's actually from Louisiana or somewhere close to there, Channing Tatum. So apparently, really. Yeah, apparently he he can he can do it. Um, if he can do that convincing <laughs> convincingly without it sounding like shit, that 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 actually will probably sell me on his portrayal. Yeah, he's a little bigger than Gambit to me. Like he's kind of a big dude. He is. He's real thick. I, I mean, actually, I think he would kind of have to lean up significantly. Like he'd have to lose some muscle mass, I think, to play and, this role. And I'm well. not, I'm not trying to give anybody like body image issues or anything like that. Like yeah. he's just a bigger character than what we've known Gambit yeah, as. In the my comic my books. wife is actually always complaining about how Channing Tatum is too muscular. Like that's yeah, yeah, ew, ew. Who wants that? That's yeah. like there's too much beer in my fridge right now. Yeah, God. come on. What? Who could do such a thing? Um. I mean, I guess I can kind of see it, but whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not. I'm not convinced he's going to be terrible. I just, you know, I, I'll see it. It's just kind of one of those things that this isn't. This isn't the movie that I'm like super waiting for in 2017. Like, I would go so far as to say I'll probably be looking more forward to Justice League, even as much as I had issues with BVS. Yeah, as much as I've shit all over BVS in the pre- last <laughs> last couple of episodes. I'm still totally on board for Justice League. Like I'm even more on board with it now that I know that uh that Ben Affleck is an executive producer and Jeff Johns is is like legit in yep. charge over there now. Like the and secondarily, like it's the fucking Justice League. Like yeah. Justice League on the big screen. Like they had my ticket sold. Like does not matter. They just it, they just said Justice League and I was like, "Here's my dollars, you know, like take them, take them now." Um so there's no way I'm not going to see that movie and I'll probably enjoy it like in the way that I you know when I watched Green Lantern the first time I enjoyed that and the way that I watched BVS the first time I enjoyed that hopefully though the second time I'll actually enjoy it too I'm going to tell you this about BVS it holds up more though than than GL it, oh it definitely does like no question no question uh, BVS is a better movie than Green Lantern I just don't hate I, I don't like the fact that we can actually compare those things with a straight face yeah Um, which also makes me sad too because I really want a good Green Lantern movie so, you know what else is a little weird about this is we're getting a Gambit standalone movie. Like, name another X Men who's had a standalone movie so far. So here's the deal. I can answer that question. I mean, we haven't had another standalone movie besides Wolverine, but exactly that's and- what I'm saying. Wolverine has been like <coughs> the like probably the most important character of this whole cinematic universe so far. And Deadpool. Yeah. Okay. But I can I can tell you why. And this is why this is actually why I'm kind of. And and this is gonna sound like I'm backpedaling, and I'm not. I, Channing Tatum kind of spearheaded this movie. Like he wanted to do it badly enough that he like the way that Ryan Reynolds really made Deadpool he stuck happen. to his guns long enough to, that that he got Fox to agree to do it. And so I'm I'm behind the movie for that. I'm just not. It's just not the movie I'm excited about. It could be really good. Uh, it's just disappointing to me that we've waited so long. Like <coughs> Gambit should have been a, a a part of this whole. Like I, I'm I'm disappointed that Gambit has not taken any sort of role so far in the um X X Men uh, cinematic universe so far. Aside from that one shitty movie, yeah. Yeah. My my big issue um is that uh, when it when it comes down to it, it I I'm afraid they're not going to market it well. They they were they did brilliant stuff with Deadpool, um, and and to be fair, you could kind of do a Gambit movie a la Deadpool, and in, in that you could make it a rated R movie, 
um, and uh, and and play on on some of Gambit's past. And they they're gonna do that because I as, as I understand it, they cast Belladonna, which was a big big deal. <coughs> For those of you um, who may not be familiar with Gambit, um, be before his affiliation with the X-Men, like in his past, like he was a member of the Thieves Guild and there's two guilds um, that were operating out of New Orleans. There was the Thieves, uh, Thieves Guild and the Assassin's Guild. And um, they were kind of at, at odds with one another and whatnot. So Belladonna is going to be kind of a... Uh, of the, she's going to be a, a foil to, to his character, but there's, there's some romantic chemistry between the two as well and whatnot. So if they, if they do his past... And then move him forward to the to where the X Men are. And in fact, if they do it right, because the next the next X Men movie is supposed to take place in the nineties. If they did Gambit right, they could actually have him meet up with the X Men, and then join further movies if they wanted to do that. That's actually a really good idea. I like it. I like it. Um. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm excited. I always like Gambit as a character, and I'm really happy to see that we're getting a movie out of it. So uh, I I do wish that they would ha- kind of have included him a little bit more in the cinematic universe so far. But I'm sure everybody who's been a fan of X Men for any length of time has that same complaint about insert your favorite character here. Like there's so many X Men, um, uh, and and really all things considered, not that many you know cinematically thus far. So see, and the thing is. I've been calling for an X-Men reboot, like a hard reboot, for a long time. And then they came out with First Class, and I was like, well, this isn't bad. Yeah. <coughs> and then they came out with um, Days of Future Past, and I was like, wow, that was fucking good. Yeah. And they used that as, as, a, as a way to do a soft reboot. Yep. And uh, I don't hate that idea. But the problem is... Is... Um, the storytelling and getting them from one place to another, even with Days of Future Past and even with, um, well, and, and it, this is especially apparent in Apocalypse, is they kind of still don't know where they're going. Yeah, I get that feeling too. Like, they're, um, you know, they're trying, but it's sort of like a not... I don't know. Like as much as I feel like Ben Affleck's passionate about uh, uh, the Batman character and doing Batman justice and all that stuff, uh, I don't get the sense of that necessarily from the X Men movies. Like there are definitely cool parts of the X Men movies, um, but I just don't feel like the love that I do with uh, you know say Ben and Batman, or more obviously Marvel in just about any of their modern properties. Yeah, I mean Marvel look at where they're at now like with coming into next year like we got the infinity war next year yeah is it next year or is it 18 i don't remember but i uh, keep talking and i'll find out they've had this vision for a long time otherwise we wouldn't have seen thanos at the end of the first avengers movie yeah and and just think of the sheer cojones of putting uh uh thanos in that because the last big superhero property before that you know discounting um marvel stuff then the next biggest thing would be the Dark Knight trilogy, which is the further, you know, as far from that end of the spectrum as you can get, essentially, um, while still staying in the comic book realm at all. Yeah. yeah. So, 
Yeah, I mean, I actually really like Days of Futures Past just because um, it, it did the one thing that I really, really was happy to see, which is it retconned out, essentially, the events of X3, which was just a garbage movie. Like, if you want to talk about why you should reboot it, it's because we need a proper in, uh, Phoenix Saga. That movie um, and the Wolverine Origins movie was, I mean, those those were single-handedly why I was like, you know what? Just do it again. I'm done. Just, just fucking scrap get it. Out of here. Get out of it. Yeah. Um. They can't do that now because the second you reboot it, you have to cast a new Wolverine. And where they're at with the story right now with Wolverine 3 being the last Wolverine or the last appearance of Hugh Jackman, they're going to do something else. I'm pretty sure it's going to be Laura Kenny X-23 is going to be the new Wolverine. And that's fine because I don't think anybody is going to accept somebody else's Wolverine for a a long time. Yeah, I think that's kind of the way they have to go. Like... uh, the audience is getting sick of reboots. Like uh, even us, like our, us huge comic nerds, especially are getting, I think a little bit sick of reboots. Like you heard that already with Spider-Man mm-hmm. um, and Spider-Man really had a, a decent amount of time passing and nobody really liked Spider-Man three. So a reboot wasn't shocking there, but there were still a ton of complaints about rebooting the character. Yeah. And it was 2018. 2018 is when we get the infinity war part one. Yeah, man, that's going to suck. I'm already, I'm already, uh, um, getting kind of you know anxious and pissed off because i've got a year and a half ish before i can see the infinity war and then i've got to wait a whole nother year at least because the infinity war part two i don't think comes out until 2019 so are they six months apart or are they balls. a year apart um the infinity war part two is 28 uh 2019 is part two i don't think we have an official release month or anything like that yet so Anyway, uh, let's move on to our next topic, shall we? Um, we shall. I, I don't know what that is because you've got the, the notes. Uh, yeah, and I was actually just kind of stalling while I flip back to that thing on my iPad. So uh, the next topic actually is Thor. Thor Odinson oh, yeah. uh, returns to the comics in The Unworthy Thor. Yeah, I'm kind of excited about this. So, yeah, um, this sounds really good, actually. Thor hasn't been Thor since 2014. Yeah, th- so this is kind of weird, actually, because Thor like this is one of the concepts I don't so much like about what they've done with the Thor character lately is because the thing is Thor is the character's name, but what they've done instead is they've uh, sort of, um, I don't know exactly what the mechanism is for getting rid of Thor Odin's son at the beginning of this latest incarnation of Thor, but they basically made Thor a chick who's for some reason also named Thor and it has all of the powers and sets and so on of Thor Odin's son. Let me elaborate. Go for it. So clear this up for me because it's been confusing. So Thor Odinson is the name of Odin's son, Thor. Yeah, precisely. Right? Mjolnir the hammer was forged specifically for Thor, granting the the bearer of the hammer the powers of Thor. Gotcha. So um, following the events of the original Sen storyline in 2014, mm-hmm. um, the original Sen storyline was kind of unique in that um, it was a universe affecting event. And there was some, there was some big bad and some. Oh, we're going to destroy some stuff and whatnot. But ultimately, what happened is the Watcher. Are you familiar with the character, the Watcher? Very, big, very big bald big guy big. lives on the moon, watches everything that everybody does. Okay. Um, he's part of an ancient race, and basically, his entire purpose is to catalog. Okay. He was killed at the beginning of the events of the original Sen storyline, and his eyes were taken. And his eyes have the power of revealing everything that he's seen over the years. Um, Thor was given some information 
um, from one of the eyes that shattered his past. He did not know what was what. Um, part of it being Angela, who is a character that we um, have talked about on the show before because she was introduced in uh, Spawn number nine. Oh, yeah, okay. Um, her character was actually brought over into the Marvel continuity, um, and it was revealed to him that Angela was his sister. Weird. And Heaven, where the angels are, is um, essentially, I think, the ninth realm that was sealed off. Nobody nobody knew about it. Gotcha. Or to okay. it or not. Um, Thor got really angry, and through the process of, of everything, he was deemed unworthy of the power of Thor. Gotcha. Um, so then he took up Yarnborn, which was his first, his, his axe, it was a single bladed axe. Um, and then the hammer went to somebody else. who was a chick. Nobody knew who it was for the longest time. Um, it was revealed later to be Jane Foster. Mm-hmm. Um, the unique thing about it is, is the power of Thor, at least as far up into the Thor continuity as I've read, and I'm not current on it, so I can't speak to like what's happening like in the here and now, but Jane Foster was dying of cancer. Chemotherapy was somewhat working, like in, in terms of it was keeping the cancer at bay. The interesting thing about the, the cancer, though, is that um, every time she picks up the hammer and takes on the mantle of Thor, it basically um, reverses any progress that she's made in healing her cancer. So it makes it worse? Being Thor is essentially killing her. That's kind of the exact opposite of what you would expect to happen. Yeah. Like, I mean, obviously it's not hurting her when she's in Thor form. Yeah. But as soon as she stops, reverts back to being Jane Foster, then she's like, well, I'm fucked again. You blew it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So there's a couple of weird things here. Number one is, you know, I know the power of Thor, like the the hammer. I know the hammer has power. Like, you know, I'm guessing that's how the lightning comes and, you know, the, the whole shit like that. But that's not it like uh thor being asgardian you know is a lot of it like thor no hammer i mean we saw them kick the shit out of all those dudes in the movie uh, yeah he's still a badass yeah that's no hammer uh gene foster's not that like no yeah but i mean it is what it is she's just a stupid human they they actually make reference to that too because um before before um thor odinson kind of stopped being in comics and whatnot yeah um they said something about somebody was saying something to him about the female Thor being Thor. And they're like, it's your name. And he's like, Nope, she deserves it. (laughs) Wow. All right. So I guess this is going to be one of those books that I'm going to have to resign myself to putting in my, you know, someday I'll read it catalog. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I read it for a while. Yeah. Okay. So I mean, I haven't read female Thor in a while. I read Thor leading up to it. And then I read some of the aftermath of the original sin storyline. <coughs> and I've read, I think, five or six issues, maybe longer. Of no, I think I, I did read the female Thor book long enough because you didn't know who it was for the first several issues. Like it took quite a while before it was yeah. finally revealed that it was Jane Foster. Um, so I read all the way up to there, and then I, I got too busy. I, I read too many comic books as it is, so I kind of had to cut some stuff out. Word. So. This actually is kind of fun, though. So the thing that started us talking about this is that we're going to get a new comic book called The Unworthy Thor. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. We we meander a little bit. Uh, regular listeners, you're probably used to that by now, I hope. Um, anyway, Un- Unworthy Thor essentially follows Thor after Jane has taken up the mantle. Um, 
which yeah. sounds to me like it could be really interesting. Like at some point you have to assume that Thor is going to get the hammer back. Uh, and so that journey of that, you know, thing is an un- interesting tell to me. Like, fuck, that was like pretty much the entire Thor movie. Like he him had becoming the, worthy again. Yeah. He, he lost the hammer. He, he did not have the hammer for more time than he did in, in the movie. So, and it was a far superior movie to the second one where he had the hammer the entire time. Yeah, indeed. Um, <clears throat> So anyway, that that looks to be interesting. Like that, this. Um, I kind of want to read the other one first, but it, this seems like a book that I would enjoy. Yeah, I, I like Thor. At least on on the surface. Who knows? Maybe they'll write it like crap and take a good idea and shit all over it. That, but whatever. That does happen sometimes, but yeah. Um, so anyway, unworthy Thor. Look for that yeah. in your comic shop. You I don't know, know what it hits. I haven't got a clue. That one, I'm not going to bother looking up. That's right fine. Yeah, we're going to. We'll on. let you know when it happens. Yeah. We'll talk about it, probably. Moving on to the Star Wars universe, we have some big news. Uh, Mark Hamill himself, um, you know, cleverly called at Hamill himself on Twitter, uh, or maybe Mark Hamill himself, I can't remember, whatever. Something. I, I think it's Mark Just Hamill Google himself. It. Google it. Uh, he has tweeted today that principal photography has wrapped for Star Wars Episode Eight. Was that today? Maybe it was not today. I think it was. It was actually ago. a couple days ago, yeah. Yeah, but they're done. They're done. Episode 8 is just sitting on somebody's computer right now, and, and we can't watch it. Nope. But it doesn't have any effects yet. Yeah, and it's probably just a jumbled mess of scenes, and we wouldn't be able to make sense of it even yeah, if we could watch it. So Probably probably need some lightsabers and whatnot in order to, to make some it, sense of it. You know, I, I get the feeling that they just, you know, they use, like, foam rubber bats as stand-ins on the set, and it probably takes a little bit away from the drama. Yeah. Yeah, if they're just hitting themselves over the head, like, with boppy toys. Bop, bop, bop. Bonk. Yeah. Yeah, like, pool noodles or something yeah like you know snow comes down big old pool noodle and just bops lay uh, uh ray on the head uh okay so anyway principal photography has wrapped on episode f- uh eight, eight. Uh, that's yeah, kind of a big eight. deal um we can't watch any of it pool noodles etc we talked about that already uh but we do have something we can talk a little bit about which uh matt and i probably both haven't seen because i just put this in the show notes like 10 minutes before the show started but oh, awesome rogue one actually has some official shots that they've released the first official stills from the movie i believe and i'm looking through them right now and then i'm gonna pass this over here so you can check them out and they look pretty rad actually i don't know who that character is but that looks awesome what are you doing okay there you go yeah scroll through that these are these are new stills yeah um so you get a a good shot of you know presumably what are somewhat important characters otherwise they wouldn't be releasing stills of them um oh wow yeah yeah, the 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 storm stormtrooper guy. Uh, I don't Dude, know what that's about. That but looks like a dark trooper. Yeah, doesn't it? Looks pretty badass. Like, like all uh, the uh, Star Wars Dark Forces back in the day. Yeah, I kind of want that to be a thing. I hope that's a thing in the, the this movie, or they do something different. You know, yeah. other than you know guys in white who can't hit shit. Like that, it'd be nice to have the stormtroopers be like fearful again. Dude, remind me of stormtroopers not not hitting things because when we get to the video game section i have to talk about that a little bit <laughs> okay yeah um the the idea of having actually frightening stormtroopers is pretty cool they touched on that just barely briefly in the force awakens i think you know like they had a couple of stormtroopers like the guy who was fighting um finn finn yeah the guy who was fighting Traitor! Finn. Yeah. yeah he was actually threatening for a half a second till lon you know or lan lon till lan blew a hole in him uh you know lan what the hell i think you mean Sorry, he's, Dude, I might he's be sobering seizing. up. I might be seizing right now. I don't know. He's uh, sobering up a little Han, bit. So. Han Solo. Fuck's sake. 
uh, before Han Solo, you know, blew him out of the thing. That yeah. that was, you know, they, and even you know for five seconds, I think Phasma was intimidating, and then they just totally didn't do anything with that at all. I expect I expect her character to be a little bit more uh, pronounced in the next movie. Yeah, I kind of hope so. Otherwise, they're kind of wasting that. You yeah, know, I agree. Why bother? I mean, I guess they, that would be not new to the Star Wars franchise because they did that. You know, Boba Fett has a huge fan following, but they didn't really do a whole lot with him in the movies. I, I kind of want to watch that movie again. Yeah. We I should. like that movie a lot. Force Awakens? Yeah. 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 I really do. I've watched it a few more than a few times since it came out, and I, and I like it just as much every time. I bought it on physical media, and I don't do that much, so. Yeah. yeah he, he's willing to get up and put a disc in, folks. I am. Yeah. That, that, that I, I, I didn't even get a cool, like, S-Shield collector's box with yeah, it. Yeah, well, that'd be weird, because it's Star Wars, but. Well, yeah, you know what I mean, though. If it came, like, it, like. Uh, shaped, you know, like in a Tie Fighter box or something like Millennium that. Millennium Falcon, dude, you yeah. could totally do a disc in a Millennium Falcon. You could do a disc. I don't know why they haven't yet. I think they've done like a Vader oh. helmet before, or maybe I'm thinking of Battlestar. Yeah, the Battlestar. They did the Battlestar one with the Cylon helmet. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that was the original series. They did the whole box set. Yeah, but anyway, I'm just saying, there's lots of cool ways they could do this. Like, get your shit together, Disney. You know how to. You know how to make us buy shit we already own. You've been doing this for years. Yeah, I'll build you a Millennium Falcon out of Legos, and and you can put a fucking movie in it. Like that's that's how to do it. Exactly. Um. So anyway, episode eight done. We got Rogue One stills coming out. I just like this future we live in, where we're gonna get pretty much continuously new Star Wars stuff. Yeah. Uh, do you watch the the animated Rebels at all? I don't. And honestly, here's here's why I suck. Go on. I've never seen the Clone Wars movie. I've not seen the Clone Wars either. And I've not watched the series beyond like an episode or two. There's a little, I can tell there's a little bit we're missing because like, for example, there's a character introduction or two that it's like, oh, look at that guy. And I'm like, I don't know who the fuck that guy is. When episode three came out and they're like, oh my God, it's General Grievous. I'm like, who the fuck is General Grievous? Yeah. 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 uh, So apparently he, he was introduced in the Clone Wars. Yeah, and they they do a little bit of that with Rebels too, and it's actually pretty fun. Uh, I did go back and watch some of the Clone Wars at least enough now that I know like a couple of the characters that they've introduced, and I've been like, "Who the fuck is that guy?" Uh, now it makes sense. Um, so that that's kind of cool. Like in particular, the one that you can't get more than like I think an episode into the Clone Wars and find out is Ahsoka Tano. Tano, Ahsoka Tano, uh, is Anakin's apprentice. Um, the, the first, the, the chick. Yeah, the chick. The, the green Twi'lek chick. Yep. Um, she's Anakin's apprentice, and uh, she shows up again in the um, the Star Wars Rebels uh, series. And, you know, of course, when that happened, they were like, it's Ahsoka Tano. And I was like, who the fuck is that? Uh, yeah, so that was lost on me the first time around, but now it's kind of cool. Yeah. And and that pays off pretty well in the last season finale. So it's, uh, it's not quite... Um, I don't know. It's still a kid's show, but it's it's a watchable kid's show. Some Someday I'll get there. Um, currently, the girls and I are, are catching up when we get a chance on uh, Batman the Animated Series. Good man. And uh, and then from there, I kind of want to move on to the Superman Animated Series and then into Justice League, Justice Justice League, League Ultimate, and, and then all of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a good man. Yeah. I, 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 I really wait for the resurgence of something like the Timverse. Yeah. You know the unique thing about that about that Batman the animated series show is that, um, and and what gives it its distinctive look. And I didn't know this until um, somebody said something on a podcast, and it totally made sense to me. Uh, they're done on 
black backgrounds. It might have been me because this is something I did know actually, and yeah. uh, Dini mentioned it on the Fat Man episode. Yeah, and I was like, I already knew that. Cool. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, it's it, all the backgrounds were black, and it was kind of a big deal when they wanted to do it, but it made a lot of sense. Yeah, it, it was actually because it's kind of a bit of a pain in the ass. Like it, it's uh, animated differently. Um, that's not the only thing, but yeah, it definitely gives it. It's one of the things that gives it its, its distinctive look. Um, but anyway, the whole Timverse, I think, was you know more than just Batman the animated series. I mean, that was definitely the launching point. But they managed to do some pretty rad things with that that whole universe. Uh, and I just I can't wait. I hope soon that um, something similar is coming down the pipe. Well, and this is where I'm going to shit on Zack Snyder just a little bit more. Go ahead. With his color saturation. Because I mean, at this point, he should just wear a rain slicker and an umbrella to our show because that seems to be a, uh, the bulk, bulk of what we're doing. He our show. He's way above that. Come on. Wait, um, what if he? What if he's not? What if he's just like, okay, I'm going to go Google my name. Oh, this guy talks about me on a podcast. This is going to be fun. This is going to be fun. And he turns it on. And he's like, oh, well, I guess it's time to go start cutting again. Black and white Superman. Yeah. yeah. No, um, that's the thing, though. Like, And I noticed this. Batman the Animated Series animated on fucking black storyboards and shit superman the animated series not on black storyboards and you know what doesn't it starkly different it 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 contrasts the two perfectly and there's still color in both yeah um first off as much as batman has a distinctive look and it's dark it's not always like there are some light shows like the freeze the, the stuff with mr freeze for example we get a lot of heavily white parts yeah. of that i mean generally speaking the the show is a darker color tone um but they they don't i mean they don't ever try to wash the colors out i i think no. and that's the thing that's i think a little bit more prevalent in the snyder verse but you know like i said the only thing that really bothers me is when it relates to superman that should be a thing in in the batman universe having that distinctive look that washed out look would make perfect sense to me in the batman universe in the the man of steel universe though like the or the man of steel movie and uh, Batman versus Superman, I think they really missed the boat by not playing up that contrast a little bit more. Like that's that's such an easy psychological you know thing to do to the audience. Yeah. Showing uh, Superman being so bright compared to, to Batman, and you know just how much that that something that sounds so simple helps form the basis of their relationship. Like uh, yeah, I don't know. We've ranted a lot about color scheming and and things like that in that movie, but it, it is one of the things that I think is just really wrong the more more and more i think about it the more i think they made the wrong decision and and here's the thing uh speaking as um a fan of batman they made series and if you're listening to the show you're a fan of the stuff we talk about and maybe you've seen this before maybe you haven't but if you haven't um and especially if you're an adult and you have experienced love and that love has been taken away from you go to iTunes and look up Batman the Animated Series and buy the um, Heart of Ice episode. That is a super good episode. You will probably cry if you have any modicum of emotion in you whatsoever. It wouldn't surprise me. Like I really I really like that episode. The thing that I didn't know about this, because um, having grown up, you know, or not quite grown up, but basically grown up on Batman the Animated Series, what I didn't realize is that, of course, the villain in this episode is uh, Mr. Freeze. And prior to this, Mr. Freeze was practically a throwaway villain. He didn't have uh, a, a, a decent origin or yeah. any kind of the way Dini describes it. Interest at uh, all. on that that Fat Man episode is essentially that like he was like uh, like King Tut like level of like who cares about him sort of villain. Yeah. Um. And, and so the animated series is the first that really took that character into uh, their 
uh, uh, you know, made him worth like interesting. They did, they did two at least two really stellar episodes with him in the TV series proper. Um, after they realized they could take um, the movie or the series and, and turn it into movies with Mask of the Phantasm, they introduced um, or didn't introduce, but they brought him to um, the cinematic length films with uh, Batman Sub Zero, yeah, uh, and whatnot. Um, and then his character in the comic books actually um, took from the animated series and and made Mister Freeze important again. Yeah. Um, and, and the animated change. series is basically what we accept as canon as far as his origin story, his backstory goes, uh, you know, so far as even like they did that in the movie. Like the, the uh, first off, as much as that movie sucked a giant dick, uh, they, they um, saw how cool that character could be enough so that they put him in that movie so that they cast Schwarzenegger instead of yeah. Patrick Stewart. Before I mean, he they was were like, Professor X. everybody seems to like this episode. Uh, why don't we just get Schwarzenegger to do it? Yeah, that, that, that makes sense. Yeah, that says a lot. Yeah. Um Yeah. No, the the animated series actually is is responsible for quite a bit um in terms of continuity <coughs> that we now know. Harley Quinn didn't exist before the animated series. She has, she's gotten huge outside of uh the animated series. Um look at the Suicide Squad movie coming out this year. I mean, it's yep. it's it's Harley Quinn and Palooza. Yeah, and I I can't believe you know it's it's surprising because it's really hard to make a new character, like especially in one of these established mythos where you've got you know Batman and all those guys. Uh, at this point, it is really hard to invent a new character that becomes that big a deal uh, the way that Harley Quinn has. So yeah. Anyway, uh, man, how did we get from here to Batman the Animated Series? I don't know, but I could talk about this all day. Yeah, why don't we just we need <laughs> to do like a Batman the Anim- Animated Series, you know, maybe slash Timverse retrospective. We could. We could. It, I mean, I don't know. Do we have that kind of time? Um, probably. Just so you know, folks, from now on, six-hour podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. Who we might cut them that? up into three-hour chunks for you. We'll see. For those of you who have, who have to drive, you know, 180 miles to work. I'm just saying, like, carpool, head with your friends over to, you know, the opposite coast. We'll keep you company. Uh Oh, yeah, okay. Because we were somehow talking about... Um, Star Wars. Let's move into video game news. Yeah. Um, and here's the deal. There's two video games that we're going to talk about. Um, I'm going to talk about the... <laughs> this one's going to get overshadowed if I don't talk about it first. So um, I was going to talk about this a little bit last week because I'd just gotten it last week um, and we forgot about it. So um, Lego Star Wars The Force Awakens. Yeah, so uh, Matt and I are both, uh, Matt more so than me for sure, but we're both fans of the Lego games. Uh, Lego has done a lot of different uh, variations, um, so we've got had a couple of Star Wars Lego games, we've had an Indiana Jones Lego games, we've got Batman, we've got Marvel superheroes, they're all over the map uh, with the yeah. Lego games. Um, Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, yeah. um, there's three Batman ones, there's two different Marvel ones now, uh, Lego Dimensions, which I think we've talked about on the show before. We have. Um, so I, I think we've also talked about it on the show that my my kids at least love the Marvel superheroes game. Like my son just got it for his birthday, even though he already had it on the PC and he started playing that uh, uh, a ton on the PlayStation Four again. So I mean he's beating the game again and collecting all the characters. So anyway, there's something definitely attractive to, about the Lego games. But as it turns out, grownups like us too enjoy playing the game. So uh, I haven't logged nearly as much time as uh, Matt has, and Matt actually is the only one of us that's played this game. But um, I hear the Force Awakens Lego game is pretty good. 
Um, dude, it's super funny. Like Lego games are. Like they yeah. kind of take the, the the actual story and the serious parts and, and do some tongue in cheek stuff. Um, <coughs> I'll tell you. The game actually opens not at the open of, of The Force Awakens, but the first level that you play in the game is the Battle of Endor. And you play it from both the ground perspective, the Millennium Falcon blowing up the thermal core perspective, and um, Luke and Vader perspective. Although the Luke and Vader thing is a little bit weird because Luke and Vader don't actually fight each other at all. They fight together against the Emperor, which didn't necessarily happen that way in the movies, but it was kind of a fun level. Yeah. Um. I, I kind of realized I was going to enjoy this game a lot when at the conclusion of the fight scene between Luke and, and Vader versus the Emperor during the iconic scene where Vader is, is laying there dying and tells Luke to take his helmet off. Lego Luke takes the helmet off and it's it's Hayden Christensen's head <laughs> and Luke realizes something wrong. So he, he shakes the helmet until he gets the right head out, pulls the head off of, of Vader and puts the, the right old bald decaying head on him yeah and i was like yep <laughs> this this game knows how to make fun of lucas just as much as i do um so that was cool um another funny moment too is later on in the game when you're actually playing through um as ray when you're trying to escape from darth maul aboard the star killer base there's a scene when she's getting darth ready. maul really darth maul fuck Okay, I was Kylo sure because Lego Ren. games do do that. Like Lego games don't stick strictly yeah. to the canon. No, so. that was just me being drunk. Okay, that's fine. Um, Kylo Ren when she's trying to escape Kylo Ren, you know the cool villain. Yeah, Darth Maul was cool too. He just got shit on anyway. Yeah, he's a victim. Another one of Lucas's victims. Like part of it is is trying to stay hidden from some stormtroopers, and like she's climbing up this wall behind some. And the cool thing about this is is the game is very diverse in that a lot of the stormtroopers are chicks too. Like, there's male and female voices for the Stormtroopers because they talk to one another. Yeah. <coughs> and one of them was like, um, we're going to be late for our um, our target, our marksman proficiency class. <laughs> and uh, and the the one guy goes, no, man, I'm, I'm good for the next six months. I got three out of 50 on my last one. And they're like, oh, my God, how did you do that good? <laughs> Because yeah. you know, there's the running gag that stormtroopers can't hit anything. So I yeah. thought that was that was pretty fucking awesome. Um, anyway, I I beat the game. Like I completed the story mode, um, and I was playing a couple levels a night. And then uh, Friday night, I kind of went a little bit nuts because I played like three or four levels plus a couple bonus levels and whatnot to finish it out. But when you complete the game, you're only actually about twenty five percent done. Yeah. And I didn't actually buy any of the characters that I had unlocked until afterward because I. <coughs> the thing about Lego games is there's always red bricks involved, and the red bricks unlock different bonuses. But you have to save up a lot of Lego studs in order to pay for the red bricks when you, even after you find them. Um, so I kind of waited until I had both the times two and times four multipliers before I started buying anything else because once you have those, you can generate Lego studs pretty, pretty crazily. Yeah. Um, cause they stack. So it'll be like times two and then you do the times four on top of it. So you're actually getting Lego studs times eight. Nice. And then the next one is like a times eight and it'll multiply that. So you're actually getting like times 64 and it increases exponentially. The Lego studs that he's talking about, for those of you who haven't played any of the Lego games are a little bit like in the Mario brothers when you break a brick and you get a coin, uh, except for like the whole 
you world is essentially made out of shit you can destroy and pick up uh, uh you know the lego studs for um and then you can use those like currency you can buy characters within them yeah. and stuff like that so the denominations like you get silver ones that are worth 10 you get uh gold ones that are worth 100 there's the blue ones that are worth a thousand and then there's purple ones if you find them that they're worth ten thousand a piece yeah <coughs> Anyway, so. it's fun. I was commenting before this because I see my. Uh, it was funny. My son plays, like I said, the the uh, Marvel game all the time. And for a second, watching him, he looks just like a wanton, you know, little mass method of mass destruction. Like he's just wrecking, running around, just wrecking the entire city essentially to pick up the studs. And then we got over here, of course, you know, Matt's playing the Star Wars Lego game, uh, which you know seems a little bit more story centric, I would think. But no, he's just totally wrecking shit too. So you know, yeah, it was kind of funny. Um, do, lots do, of replay value though. So I'm done with the initial storyline, but there's bonus levels that I haven't finished all of. Um, and even in the first level, like in the indoor level, like you can't finish it until you get, um, Admiral Akbar is a character that can, um, dive into like ponds of water and whatnot. And I haven't unlocked him yet because in order to do that, you have to unlock like 35 carbonite blocks throughout the, the game. So you basically have to keep running through the level sometimes two, three times to get all the stuff that you can get out of them yeah and unlock everything this game actually kind of reminds me a little bit like uh for what my my generation you know when i was a kid it might have been tony hawk like and the way that i mean that is that um i don't think i've ever beaten a tony hawk game in spite of uh logging like a bajillion hours in in them because there's all kinds of shit like that you can do as far as collectibles. Maybe not collectibles with Tony Hawk. Uh, some of there certainly were collectibles in Tony Hawk, but a lot of it more was like you know hit this certain amount of tricks this number of times and, and you know the challenges and shit like that. Like I remember playing those games so freaking much, uh, level after level, same thing. You know, just trying to hit a specific trick or something. Yeah, uh, the closest I've come is Lego Harry Potter years one through four. Okay. I am at 99.8% complete on that game. Um, and that's because there is some character unlocks that are in the actual Hogwarts castle that, and I played this on the Wii, so maybe it's just the programming for the Wii version of the game that sucks complete dick, but like, I can't get to them. Hmm. Like, I don't know how to get to it, so. Man, that 0.02% really got to eat at you. It does because I'm kind of a completionist when it comes to that. I mean, the whole thing about that game is it's like collecting shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? I collect comic books, baseball cards, what have you. Like, I there's a lot of shit that I collect. And so, like, when there's a piece of my collection that's just not there. Yeah. That hurts. I haven't even played years five through seven because I haven't completed <laughs> years one through four. Uh, that's funny, <laughs> actually. Okay, uh, let's move on to our other piece of video game news. Jesus um, Christ, do we have enough time for this? Uh, do do we do we have enough time for this <laughs> uh, all right so i'll start because uh, that's basically all i can add to this topic uh <laughs> there's a new game come that has come out this week called pokemon go chances are you already know this um in fact even though uh we are def- a decidedly nerdy show talking about nerdy shit a lot of the times um i've been absolutely flabbergasted by the number of people playing this game who would normally absolutely not be attracted to anything like this 
in general. Like I know plenty of, you know, kids my age that would uh, still, you know, do Pokemon stuff, play, you know, s- certainly play the video game uh, on like Game Boy or whatever the equivalent and is there's these There's a trading days. card game and whatnot. Yeah, trading really cards popular. and stuff like that. Uh, that is the level I was expecting. Like it, it's going to be something like that essentially. But no, like I know a million people. I've seen people wandering all over town and, and uh, you know, around, uh, around looking at their phones playing Pokemon Go. Uh, so if you're not familiar with the game, uh, the short of it is, is that is, it is an augmented reality game, which kind of forces you to get up and go out in the real world. Uh, so, you know, if you know anything about Pokemon, one of the things you know is that, uh, you got to catch all the Pokemon. Um, and so the way you do this in this game is that you use your phone's GPS and it tells you, you know, there's a Pokemon kind of over here and you have to go get it. And that's the most simplified version of this I can give you, um, because there's a lot more to it than that. But, uh, you get out in the real world and this game is actually essentially played sort of quasi in the real world uh another small interesting fact of this is that if you've ever heard of the game called ingress uh ingress was a big deal on android and i think only came to ios for the very last part of its life um it, it is essentially reskinned ingress like a lot of the same sort of playing yeah. play styles like uh, i had a buddy who was really heavily into ingress when it, it was a big deal or a quasi big deal because it never reached nearly the level of fame that i think pokemon go has well, and that was will. i think by design um, Ingress, Could be. Ingress was weird because when it was um, in beta, yeah, it had the longest fucking beta period ever, and invite only betas and all that kind of. It shit. was invite only, and then when they launched the game for real, like you could download it from the App Store um, or the Google Play Store, but you couldn't play unless you actually had a legit invite to play it. Yeah, even if you already had the app. Um, I got into it after beta because I, I knew a person who was involved in the beta and. When they first released it, only people that were involved in the beta could invite to it. And so I got invited and was in it. And then I think it took a year or maybe two years before um, any player could invite other players. And then it was another year or maybe two after that before you could just download the app and just be in it without having to be invited at all. Yeah. Um, And then it only took another year before it just doesn't matter anymore because now Pokemon is here. Yeah. Um, So it's kind of interesting because uh, it... it, uh... First off, Pokemon is exactly the type of property that makes perfect sense for this type of play, this type of of game. Um, the other thing that is interesting to me, though, is how much of the how much of the boat Ingress uh, missed. Obviously, this is something that a lot of people enjoy doing. Like the, I think this is uh, sort of like geocaching for the masses, masses almost. Um, but man, I cannot believe how much this game has taken off. Like just so many people playing it, so many people that are into it that I would have never expected to hear, you know, anything about Pokemon from, um, you know, I, I started it, I played if, uh, all of about five seconds of it, but as we were doing the show, we had a little break and I got off the thing and I looked at the thing and I was like, Oh, there's a Pokemon. It's only 200 yards away or 200 meters away. And I was like, I could go get that right now. Like, like it, it was almost like, okay, I guess I'll put it away. We're going to do a podcast, whatever. Yeah. Um, so, so Bryce, who anybody listening to the show is pretty familiar with, um, yeah. he was here, uh, he, he crashed here last night and this morning we got up and kind of watched some baseball, had some breakfast and whatnot. And, um, and then it was like noon and we're like, let's go catch some Pokemon. So he and I walked <laughs> more than two miles around town today, catching various Pokemon and, um, the other cool thing is too, is that, um, there's Pokemon gyms 
and there's pokey stops and the pokey stops are at designated buildings and whatnot and there's several in my neighborhood that i can walk to at any given time so and you basically get- you just go to those and they spit out items at you like you spin a little thing and it throws out like extra pokeballs or potions or whatnot power-ups essentially if you have yeah. no idea what we're talking about yeah and then the pokey gems are actually um based in certain buildings around town um there happens to be a church literally right next door to me that is a pokey gem yeah so, so I don't have to leave my house to go fight there if I if I don't want to. Basically, these are uh, sort of territories you can win over. So you can go have one of your Pokemon fight some other guy's Pokemon, and if you win, you get ter- you you get basically to claim this territory as your it's, own. It's exactly like Ingress if if you're yeah, one of the people if, that played that. It's, it's a portal. Like you you just you in, only instead of hacking the portal, you're fighting the Pokemon that are currently there and taking yep. it over. Yep. Uh, so again, really funny to me because Ingress didn't become that big a deal. And I think if I said Ingress out, outside of a very small handful of people, um, even my nerdy friends, like one in five at best might've even heard of the game. Yeah. I'm one of them. Yeah. But Pokemon is the Pokemon go is not that at all. Like it's at the top of the app store right now. Um, which, you know, the app both, store, both the, uh, Apple app store and, and the, the Google, Google play, play apps. Yeah. So just stop and think about that for the, a, a second. Like those are the two biggest markets for smartphones and arguably probably the two biggest markets for computing applications at this point. Um, now think about the fact that if you're one of the few that has a windows phone, you can't play it. Yeah. Yeah. You're excluded simply because you have a windows phone. Yeah. See, that's the thing. Like, uh, it's I, like I think being Japanese during world war two, like you're kind of in your self-imposed internment camp. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I'd say self-imposed. Gosh, we're going to get hate mail. Anyway. Uh, Dude, I would welcome hate mail at this <laughs> yeah. point. Bring on your hate mail. Uh, so is that what we're going to do? We're going to do like a white power show and then we'll get notoriety. I said anything about white power. No, I'm, I just, know, just, I'm just saying that would get some hate mail. Yeah, I'm not willing to, I'm not willing to cross that line. Okay, we're not going to go that far. Anyway. Um, the, God, I'm going to do can't. the next episode in blackface though. <laughs> all of everybody who sees that is going to be real upset <laughs> yeah it'd be like you yeah i got a face for radio yeah. anyway anyway uh so this game is hugely popular uh oh and i know what we're talking about we're talking about windows phone so windows phone uh yeah my wife had a windows phone for the longest time uh well like two years uh that's a pretty goddamn long time in phones but uh yeah it is a hellhole for actually getting any apps like you're lucky because you have like Facebook and Netflix and the Netflix client is definitely shittier than the other ones. And the Facebook client is definitely shittier than the other ones. Uh, but that's like it. Like if you want anything like this, you just can piss off because it's not happening. Yeah. Um, so it, it actually is a little bit shocking to me that windows phone is actually even still a thing. Like I saw somebody with a windows phone the other day and I was like, how do you do it? How do you do that? When people are like talking about snap, do you guys even get Snapchat? We, like we had one guy at work that had a Windows phone for a long time, and he just got a, a Galaxy S7. Yeah. He's probably like, look at all the shit I can download. Wow, oh, did you guys see this? He's terrified of it. Like, he's like, I don't know if I like this. And I'm like, well. Like, give it a second. Go go, go browse the Play Store and see if you, know, you don't like all the bajillion more applications you can get. Yeah, here's the thing. I used to be 100% pro Android over Apple and whatnot, but... Quantity of apps does not necessarily mean no. I actually good. I was gonna say this, and it's kind of a good thing you segued in here. Like I used to feel this way a little bit about Android people, like because Apple, uh, 
there's a lot of faults with the Apple App Store and limitations of the App Store, but one of the things that they managed to do exceedingly well is have quality apps developed for their platform. And so for the longest time, you would hear, uh, yeah, you can get it on iOS and you can get it on Android, but the iOS one's way better. Um, that's not necessarily true all the time now. I'd still say that app, the App Store, uh, the iOS App Store, has a little bit of an edge in terms of like uh, getting, especially like uh, games. Uh, they they do get a lot better games a lot of the times, uh, which I think is more due to you just platform in general. Like it's a lot easier to make games I think for iOS than it is for Android. Could be wrong. Not a developer. Uh, just know you know enough you know armchair developer shit to uh, I make that assumption but the thing that um is weird is that even once you get out of sight of games like your simple stuff uh the a- apple apple versions tended to be better i don't know if that's still true you know like pokemon go from what i can see on your phone is pretty much indistinguishable from what's on my phone so that's kind of cool um but man I, I used to feel a little bit that way about Android people. And now when I look at like uh, uh, Windows phone people, I'm just like, you should be shaking a cup and I can drop a nickel into it. You know, like I feel like that level of like charity, like, man, that's bad. You know, like, let's see if we can port over, you know, uh, um, one of the old Facebook clones or something like that. So you guys can play that. Yeah. Um, it's. It's not as bad as it used to be. My problem, though, is I'm becoming increasingly more jaded with the Android OS as as an OS. Yeah. Um. Just because, like, the last couple revisions of Android, like, they've had some pretty serious flaws. Like, um, my Reddit app, for one. Like, number one, I we don't have Alien Blue. Yeah. Which sucks. Well, as it turns out now, Alien Blue isn't really where you want to go these days. No, but it used to be. It used to be that that was actually kind of the example I was thinking of, especially like two or three years ago. That was an ex- a perfect example of this. On iOS, you had Alien Blue, and on Android, you had you know a half dozen apps that were just not nearly as good. The the top one being Reddit is fun. Yeah. Um, although in fairness, I have heard a lot of people say now that, uh, this this is actually kind of funny. Uh, the other day in in a thread on Reddit, somebody was talking about how God, they, they've just switched over to iOS and they can't believe how shitty the Reddit apps are. Um, that's yeah. And that's one thing, but like, here's my problem with it. Like the Reddit is fun app, uh, worked fine until what am I on right now? Marshmallow. Yeah. Probably it, it worked fine until Lollipop, mm-hmm. and then Lollipop would have this weird thing where like I'd go into it, and then if I was already in it, if I didn't like force close the app and go back into it later on, like I would just I would so like the whole rule of thumb is is on Android is like you always just hit the back button until it exits all the way out of the app and whatnot. Yeah, if I did that with the Reddit is fun app on previous versions of it, it was fine. But as soon as we hit lollipop, like I would just get this screen a lot when I would go back into the app. We're looking at a spinner folks. Yep. Everybody's favorite. Oh, wait, we got there. Only it would never load. Yeah. So if I force close the app and then go into it, then it loads almost instantly. You know what I mean? Um, and it's not as bad as it was now that marshmallow is updated. And here's the thing. Like I have a, I have a Nexus six. Mm hmm. And the nice thing about the Nexus 6 um, being a Nexus device is that I get monthly Android updates now. Um, and it's not like a, a complete overhaul to the OS. Like, it's not like I'm getting a new version of Android, but there is a monthly batch of 
Yeah, fixes and shit like fixes that. Fixes and whatnot. This is actually one of the things that's a little bit disappointing. Well, both good and bad about iOS. Uh, iOS, even, um, you know, all of the Apple stuff is essentially the equivalent of the Nexus stuff. They could do monthly updates, but they don't. Um, at least not nearly with that frequency. Uh, actually, this is one of the things that I sort of envy a little bit about what Google's done with Android, sort of. They've sort of, um, in some cases, uh, broken the OS apart and gone into like individual apps instead. So uh, you could probably think of the specific examples, but whereas Apple's very monolithic about if you want to see any changes to the Messages application, for example, you have to wait for a big iOS update. I don't know if that's true for Android. Uh, maybe not Messages specifically, but you could probably think of like, I would think Chrome, Chrome on Android, I would think gets frequent updates outside of uh, just major revisions. Um, yeah, but the apps update individually, though. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, the, the apps update individually. For the most part, with the iOS uh, first-party apps, like Messages, the, you know, Safari, the browser, that kind of shit, Mail. Like, if you want new features or bug fixes, you have to wait for one of the, the major OS releases. Here's which I, the weird part, though. Chrome didn't used to be a standard no browser that, that was actually one of the really more dumb design decisions is that for a long time they had there wasn't the, it just it said just, internet and it was yeah, its own internet browser or thing. in some phones it was just browser yeah and, and uh for a while actually i saw a lot of phones that were packaged with both and it was kind of like what are you doing like what why yeah. are you doing that like get rid of the shitty stupid browser app because the chrome app, chrome app almost from its inception was way better i actually used um firefox mobile for a long time yeah because the chrome app was pretty shitty when it first launched that's funny. But now Chrome works the same on my PC as it does on my on my phone. Yeah. I don't know. I I I'm not as I like I said, like my next phone's probably actually gonna be an iPhone just because like I'm I've become so I don't want to say jaded, but like I used to have real huge philosophical issues with Apple. Mm -hmm. Um over the last couple of years though, Apple's really kind of done some things um that in my mind have set it apart from other other companies. Um Probably the biggest thing to date right now is their absolute refusal to back down to the FBI when it came to um, trying to get into that guy's phone. See, that's the part that I struggle with, too, because they do stuff like privacy. No question. Apple's better. Yeah. Like encryption by default, encrypting iMessage by default, having iMessage by default. Uh, you know, there's there's certain equivalents and on, on a lot of Android phones. You can go dig and find the setting to turn on encryption and stuff like that. But Apple does that stuff really well. Marshmallow privacy. is encrypted like from from the uh, like out of the box now. But like. You yeah, could new. you could see um, with the the latest iOS uh, uh, when they were talking <laughs> at WWC, WWDC actually during the keynote uh, and this was actually I was kind of like waiting to see how uh, Apple was going to answer because uh, um, what's the the Google conference that the Google I/O yeah. Google I/O was not too far before uh, WWDC and they really announced a lot of cool shit like uh, so I was waiting to see how Apple was going to answer that and the one of the big ways they did it was basically saying you know so all that stuff Google did like Google Photos where you can parse your photos and you know you Google you know like something that might be in the photo that you haven't specifically tagged and it'll be able to find it find it yeah we do that but we do it on device and we don't wreck your privacy to get to it yeah. Um, now, in fairness, it's not quite as good. I, I don't see how it could be. Like, there's an immense amount of machine learning and, and, you know, data processing and heuristics and stuff like that that goes into Google's detection algorithms. But as somebody that's somewhat privacy conscious, I was kind of excited to see that we're getting an equivalent feature or, or you know, something that's pretty close. Maybe it's not quite all the way there, but that's a trade-off I'm willing to make for a little bit more privacy. 
What sucks about Apple or what I really don't like in comparison to the Android world is like you can get Android phones where by default you can easily sideload apps or reasonably easily sideload apps. You can do things like get Android phones where if you want more storage, you just plug in a bigger SD card, <laughs> um, which, uh, you know, stuff like that. <coughs> File system. I still... I but yeah that's actually kind of a funny trend because for a long time and that still is now for a lot of nerds a selling point like you can go get an sd card slot or a phone that that has an sd card slot but uh you know one of the things that drives me nuts about the whole um ios android thing now um you know is that we're so close to getting like this perfect utopia of choice um but anyway oh i know what i was talking about the file system on ios yeah we do not get a file system on iOS, and there's a lot of hacky bullshit that you have to go through to deal with your files on iOS. It's gotten a little bit better since they've introduced universal share sheets and stuff like that, but there is no way to just open a file browser. What I let, See, I've got a file explorer right here, Yeah. and I can go right here, and I can hit my local storage, or I can go to network, and I can hit my network storage, and yeah, right there, see, anything I desperately, that I've got on the network, I can... I desperately I want right something there. like that for iOS. There's a couple of apps that get close, but it, th- there's nothing that's native supported because Apple got so up its own ass about, well, we're not going to do files, and files are too hard for regular users, and blah, blah, blah. So instead, what we're going to do is pretend like files don't exist, and then eventually, at some point, we're going to give you some hacky bullshit way to get them through to iTunes. But by then, you've already figured out that you can just yeah. sync up a Dropbox. See, and my wife reads comic books on her phone, and it's a pain in the ass because she only reads comic books on her phone if I can put them on there. Yep. And... You want the what? chunky app, by the way. The, Not they don't make it for iPhone though. You can only get it for damn, iPad. Damn, that sucks. Yeah, that's the thing is I that's the one I was gonna get for her because I know that it can actually like it's a little bit more dynamic in how it can use files and whatnot. Yeah, it, well, if nothing else, the reason I first picked it up is because I was looking for something <laughs> that would do a decent job reading comics and that I could also natively transfer over the network for. Yeah. So that that was a, a big selling feature for me. One of the things that I found that might help is this app called File Browser, which is for all intents and purposes uh, a little bit like the file browser you wish you had on iPhone except for the fact that um, it's got its own little sandbox so uh, the only way you can get it out of the app is if the um, the app you want to put it into supports share sheet functions so and that's uh, that's my biggest problem with Apple right now too and, and their devices is like nothing supports fucking cross-platform files like, yeah th- that's the other thing that sort of pisses me off a little bit about Apple like you know what I like Macs. I, if I had my choice, I'd have, you know, the, the big expensive, super, you know, powerful Mac. It, I don't even know if it'd be the Mac Pro because this is the other thing they're taking a lot of heat for is the Mac Pro's got essentially four or five year old hardware in it at this point. Um, but anyway, I would love to have these big, super expensive machines, but I can't afford it, especially not if I want to play games because game performance on Macs are generally pretty shitty because for all the things they do well, putting uh, good GPUs that can play games well is not one of them. Um, so I'm not going to buy a Mac anytime soon, but I would really still like to be able to send an iMessage from my PC. Like, can't you even give me like a shitty little website I can go to, you know, like a la, you know, Facebook messenger or something like that. Uh, it still drives me nuts that I can't do something that is relatively simple on Android. Cause you know, you know that the powers that be at Apple could easily create a, a windows 10 compatible app. They yeah. could do it. I mean, for fuck's sake, guys, just put it in the browser. Like I'm just, I'm just saying you're not selling me a, a Mac because you're not letting me use iMessage. That's just a bull, bullshit decision. Like, whatever. Yeah, that's the difference between me spending $800 and putting together a box of parts myself or spending fucking $2,500 on a fucking Mac. 
You know yeah. what I mean? I mean, it's not that bad. Like I, I still, if I were in the market for a laptop, no question, it would be a MacBook. Yeah. Um, if I were in the market for a, a, a specifically development only machine, it would either be a MacBook or a 5K iMac. The screens on those, goddamn, I want the screen. I want, I want the 5K iMac screen on my computer so bad, it's disgusting. Um, but anyway, this is a hell of a tangent. Why don't we pause on our tech nerd discussion, which half of the people probably tuned out for. Uh, we'll get a beer, and then we'll talk Sons of Anarchy. Yeah, because we didn't put that in the show notes. I just did. Did you? Yeah. yeah. I was thinking about that right now, too. I was like, I was like, we're going to do Sons before we do comics. So, we got to. Yeah. yeah. All right, ladies and gentlemen, grab your cuts. We're going down to the club. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so here's so this, this is the funniest thing. You can go back and listen to the show. Cut. I'll, maybe if I think about it, I'll cut myself in talking about the l- relatively lukewarm response that I gave the first two or three episodes of the show last time. Um, I, I was actually going to point this out and make fun of you a little bit. Yeah, okay. So, and, and the other thing, like if my wife ever listened to my show, she doesn't. But if she ever did, she'd probably just be throwing shit at the whatever device she was listening to it on right now. Because she, she told me for probably like she started watching it and like around season two she's like hey you should check the show out and like by season three or four when she was watching it she was like dude you need to watch this show but like season six or seven she's like why the fuck aren't you watching the show like she was seriously like mad at me like why aren't you watching the show um i think we talked about this on the show uh several months ago when she first started watching it yeah and i was like dude she's right you should watch the show yeah and like i've kind it, of been advocating for this for a while but and then the, that was where i was going with this next and matt also has been like when it whenever it comes up he's like yeah you know you need to watch that show like it's a good show and you know so and and, and matt's wife yeah and i don't know okay so basically you know pretty much everybody uh, uh that i like in real life for no good you know reason uh they they've been telling me to watch this show. Um, my brother in law, you know, like I mentioned it, and he's like, "Oh yeah, dude, you need to watch that." Uh, the one listener of the show, my brother, is a big fan of the show. Like yeah. he would have told you too. Okay, so I've known about this show's existence, and I'd seen commercials for it and stuff like that, and I knew very vaguely what the thing was about, and I was like, "Oh, this is gonna be some sort of lame Hell's Angels drama filled bullshit show." And so I never really gave it a chance. And then finally, it's like, okay, well, enough people have told me. I don't really have anything else going on. I'll watch four or five episodes, and if I get into it, I get into it. That was two and a half seasons ago. Um, so in the last week, and first off, folks, normally I do not watch a whole lot of TV. During my regular routine, like I watch, uh, you know, say The Flash, Supergirl, Arrow, and a couple of other shows, Game of Thrones when it's on, those types of things. I watch maybe five or six hours of TV a week, period. Uh, I've burned through two and a half, well, three, three and a third, three and a half seasons of this show in the last week. Sat- Sunday, like I started watching it at around 11 and then it was like three and I was like, well, shit, I guess I'm not doing anything today. And seriously, I was there till like 10, just burning through the entire season and a half. Uh, uh, We're only going to talk about from like episode three of season one up until maybe halfway through season two tonight. We're not going to do <coughs> breakdowns of each individual episode because we can't. That's a lot. Uh, first off, I've watched them all so fast uh, that a lot of the storylines are going to blur together for me in, in a lot of ways. So I'm going to try to keep things a little bit straight in my head as far as what, what we're focusing on a little bit tonight. But here's here's what's funny. The reason Eddie is watching it finally it's because a, a few weeks ago, I, I got a hair up my ass, and I was just like, you know what? I haven't watched that show in a while, and it's a good show, and I think I'm ready for that. I think I'm ready for it. Yeah. That's so why I started re-watching it. And uh, <coughs> I was thinking I was going to be able to suggest this to him, and that we would kind of keep pace with one another. 
<laughs> Sorry. Um, and I'm midway through season two, and he's a full season ahead of me right now. So. Yeah. So, okay, so if you haven't watched the show, like me, if you're some dumb bastard who's sitting at home saying, oh, I don't think I like that, um, I don't know that my description is going to help you anymore, but uh, the show ba- basically focuses on a motorcycle club, uh, which is ba- basically a euphemism for a, a um, you know, organized crime. Uh, yeah. It's more than that. Like, they, they're, uh, and that's sort of one they're of outlaw. our- yeah, they're, they're outlaws, essentially. They're, they are more than just organized crime. Uh, they are definitely um, protective of the community. That's a big theme in the show so far. Uh, they live in a small town, and one of the big things about the, one of the you know main bents of the, the club is to keep really bad shit actually out of their town. Uh, so the fictional town of charming California. Yeah. Uh, so things like drugs, you know, major (coughs) violence, like, uh, the club is sort of there to protect that shit. Like a rapist comes to town. I think that's actually where I got hooked. The second or third episode. It was the third episode. Yeah. A rapist comes to town, uh, rapes a little girl, which, you know, is, is graphic and horrible enough, but, uh, you know, it became about how the club's going to handle that. So you get a little bit of a third dimension because up until this point, you've only seen the club do basically bad shit. Um, it's, it's weird. So when it comes to the, um, a motorcycle club or, or an outlaw club, there's not a lot of things that are off limits, uh, for them. Um, where this show takes a different turn is, um, hard drugs are, are an absolute, like, no, when it comes to the suns. Yeah. What's funny though, is I didn't realize until like midway through season two, probably they're smoking pot like all the time. It's it's funny they they just casually roll a joint like all the time like I I was like man so many people well, in the show Gemma. smokes uh smoke and, and that's true uh like Jack's Jack smokes like a chimney for the most part um but half the time it's weed yeah 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 um but like when it comes to like meth and and heroin and shit like that like they don't they don't do that like they they try and keep that shit as far away from their own town as possible um. And in reality, a lot of motorcycle clubs or outlaw clubs and stuff like that use drugs as as a source of revenue and shit like that. So that's that's where this show's a little bit different. Than- that actually, well, that actually incurs like some of their rival gangs. Uh, you know, one of the big rival clubs the is the Mayans, and the Mayans' big, you know, the way the Mayans make money is essentially to heroin. sell heroin. Um, and that's a, a you know sort of cu- a cause for conflict in the show um, because although the uh, the uh, motorcycle club the Sons of Anarchy which is of course where the show takes its name from or the Sons of Anarchy Motorcycle Club of Redwood uh, uh, originals Redwood originals yeah yeah Sam, Sam Crow, Crow uh, although they do not sell hard drugs they do sell guns to guys who sell hard drugs and that's the primary way they make their money fine. and what they need their drugs or their their guns for <coughs> and what's funny is they they sell guns. To generate revenue for the club, but they're also helping a cause, um, which is the Irish, the or the the true IRA, the the Irish Revolutionary Army. Yeah. Um, because as we'll get to later on, next episode probably we'll talk about their ties to the Irish and and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, but even their gun running kind of has a purpose more than that or at least it should it started out that way we find out later on that there's a little more going on but 
A little bit. Um, so that's sort of the hero's dilemma. So the the I would call him the main character, although this is a heavily uh, supporting cast driven show. Jax is the main character, but Jax is definitely the main character. So Jackson Teller is the son of one of the founding members of the, the club. The founding member. The founding member of the club. Excuse me. JT John Teller. John Teller, uh, and <coughs> the current leader of the club is uh, uh, Clay Clarence Morrow. Uh, Clay, you're you're gonna only basically ever hear him called Clay. Uh, but Clay Morrow is one of the other founding nine members of the club, and he's the current president of the club. And so one of the themes going through at the show is that Jax wants the club to be something more, um, essentially something, uh, you know, maybe on the legal side. He he views where the club at it right, is at right now is basically just kind of their thugs. He he does. He he thinks uh, very little of of you know the enterprises that they're involved in, and yes, it makes them money in you know stuff like that. But that's not who he who he wants to be essentially. Yeah. Like there are a couple of moments where you know they're doing something that's pretty obviously shady, and he, you can kind of almost see the wheels turning in his head, like that's questioning what it is he's doing. It's kind of the central theme of the show. Um, the first season, in particular, kind of um, revolves around a few specific things. Um. An ATF agent shows up in town. Yeah, she is such a bitch. I can't wait to for her. I'm to not die. talking about that one. Right. Okay. She um, shows up a little later. She yeah. is such a bitch. She does show up in town too. But um, earlier in the season, though, we get uh, Agent Cone who shows up in town and takes a vested interest in the club. And we find out over the course of a few episodes that he's actually there stalking Tara, who is the the main love interest of Jack's. Yeah, they were high school sweethearts, and she went away to college, and Broke she's a doctor heart. now. And you know, basically on the straight side of things, like she's it's a very um, uh, you know Capulet and Montague sort of relationship. Um, but uh, yeah, Cohen stalking her essentially. Yeah, you know, I I, I do think I want to kind of keep this a little spoiler free. Um. We can go broad strokes, but I don't want to give away any of the big reveals, at least not until we get a little further. We're kind of going to have to spoil a little bit of things toward the end because the whole conflict between Jax and Clay yeah, that's revolves true. around it. So. And this can't... show is literally fucking 10 years old. So, All right. If you are like, well, see, but the thing is, like, if it were me, because I'm, I'm a dumb bastard who hasn't watched a 10-year-old show that still doesn't want to be spoiled for it. Okay. Okay, if you don't um, so, want spoilers, stick fingers in your ears and say la 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 for like the next 10, 15 minutes. Yeah, okay. So, spoiler warning, we're going to spoil <laughs> some shit probably because yeah. it is, you know, I think we do want to talk about this. I know I want to talk to you about this. Uh, so, yeah. I've All been right. wanting to talk about this for, for a while. Anyway, yeah. so um, Agent Cohen comes to town and we find out that he's stalking Tara. Um, Kind of one of the first real big things that happens, aside from the gun warehouse blowing up in the first episode. Yeah. Um, is Cone eventually ends up in a situation where he is uh, essentially going to force himself upon Tara. Um, and Tara ends up shooting him in the gut. And yeah, she, he was straight up trying to rape her. Yeah, like, she doesn't know what to do at this point, so she calls the only person that she thinks can help her, which is Jax. Yep. Um, and the scene that follows is pretty fucking amazing because Jack shows up and Cone loses his shit, even though he's like going to bleed out from a gut wound and just starts running his mouth. And Jack's is having none of it. Jack's walks over and just fucking bam, bam, done. See, I think it's important to highlight the relationship with, uh, uh, Jackson, uh, Jackson, uh, Tara, Tara. because the thing about that is, is like, there's not a lot of on-screen relationship history at this point. You get a little bit, but not a whole ton of it. Uh, but 
there's a whole bunch of behind the scenes like they were high school sweethearts it's uh alluded to several times over the, over the show that uh tara is basically the one chick he's ever really loved um in spite of the fact that he's had a lot more women in his life uh which i think he he expounds on in like season two i think he does happens yeah yeah uh, if not two, then definitely three. He does it in two. It's yeah. there's a pretty big speech between him and her. Yeah. So that that whole thing, you know, um, so he he uh, basically comes over and Cohen is really running his mouth and ripping it into Tara, which is even more ridiculous because none of the things he's saying are even close to true. But yeah, Jax is just like, up. Oh, I've had enough of your shit. And, and then he, he goes says like, just, once a biker whore, always a biker whore, or something like that. And yeah. Jax just fucking caps him. Yep. Just right in the head. And and so then Tara's like, well, there's a dead. ATF agent in my fucking let's do it yeah 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 and they they essentially just fuck over yeah. a dead body yeah he's like off to the side over here you know over by the you know the entrance to the master bathroom or something like that yeah and the bed's like right there and they're just like oh I guess we're gonna have sex with a dead body in the room yeah what's your you know true love story yeah and and kind of so agent stall has been introduced by this point too we didn't talk about that at all because essentially um she discovers that agent cone is operating outside of his directive from the atf like yeah. the atf thinks he's on personal leave uh in oregon and cohen's saying essentially like i've been sent down here to investigate this the yeah. club and so on and so forth and so he gets busted and and uh, between agent stall and uh deputy do right um detective hale, hale or yeah, yeah deputy hale <coughs> They essentially have contacted his superiors at the ATF, and they're putting him on a plane to Chicago. Yeah, um, which he doesn't ever make. That's that's the thing is like he somehow escapes custody, and and that's when he attacks Tara, and, and all this stuff happens. Agent Stahl, on the other hand, is a legit ATF agent who really has been dispatched to investigate the Sons of Anarchy, and she is trying to put together a RICO case to bring down the Sons of Anarchy because, um each member has kind of been individually able to escape attention from the ATF or escape uh, prosecution from the ATF. But if they can put enough crimes together between all the different members, then they can bring the whole gang down under Rico. Yep. Um, one thing that I don't want to forget about before we move on too much, because we were just talking about Tara and Jax's relationship. One of the other things that's really fun for me to watch so far, at least, you know, midway through season three is the relationship uh, between Tara and Gemma. So Tara and Gemma. So Gemma is played by Katie Seagal. And uh, we're going to have a third. You want to sit down? Ah. She's going to laugh at you while you talk about this. Yeah. Uh, so Tara and Gemma are, uh, or I'm sorry, Gemma is Jax's mother. Clay, Clay's wife. Uh, she is, you know, his old lady, Clay's old lady. Um, which is another funny thing that comes up in the show a lot. Uh, so she's into some bad shit too. I mean, she's... Without being a member of the club, she's a member of the club. She's the puppet master, man. Yeah, basically. She the the thing about Gemma is, um, and I don't know if we've really gotten to this where you are at either. So I don't want to. No, don't she's kind of screwed up right stuff. now. She she's just basically escaped custody and flew to Ireland under you know. Um. Yeah. I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to talk too much about this until I'm I'm caught up with where Eddie is because I don't I don't know exactly the order of the events that go. But, <coughs> um, she views. JT John Teller as uh as being weak. Yeah. Totally. Um, and she you like you kind of get the impression right away that the person that she's going to be with is going to be the person who is the strongest person and more capable person of leading the club to where she thinks it needs to be. 
Yeah, that's another big theme. Like early on in the show, uh, Gemma and Clay are talking about how you know they're they're basically setting up Jax to be the protege, and uh, you know Clay's his stepfather, and they're talking about basically like is he going to take after the right father? And of course they mean clay, which is, you know, by far the more brutal of the two. He doesn't want to give up the gun running. That's another, you know, sort of source for tension, especially in season one and leading, leading through season two, Um, especially season two, because we get some events that go down at the end of season one, which we're going to come back to. But anyway, what I, what I wanted to mention with uh, Gemma and Tara is they start off with such an amazingly adversarial relationship. And maybe it goes back to that, but where I'm at right now, uh, their relationship has grown s- such a different way. It's uh, really kind of interesting. Like they start off, uh, uh, and I think even midway through season two, or even in the early part of the season, you know, yeah, they they kind of uh, where you're at by this point, they've kind of um, started looking at each other as. I mean, they're not they're not ever going to be best friends, but they kind of view each other as a necessary evil and in, in their lives. Well, I think by that far, by the, by the point I'm at, at least midway through season three, I don't even think that's fair. I think they that maybe they don't like each other. Like I don't get that feeling that they're ever going to be best friends or anything like that. But they're certainly two of the only people that, that each other trusts, which is a pretty big deal given that they roll in pretty fucked up circles, all things considered. Yeah. Um. So yeah, there's definitely there's there's a lot of relationship dynamics in the show. Let's yep. let's talk a little bit about season one. <coughs> and the Rico case. Yeah. Um, so we're introduced in, uh, to a new character um, that we didn't know we were going to be introduced to. Um, uh, Tig, who is, um, he's the, what is he? He's the right Sergeant hand. of arms. He's a sergeant of arms. Sergeant at arms, probably, actually. Um, and he is he is the, the essentially the president's right-hand man. He yep. is the guy that does the dirty work that needs to be done. He is entirely that guy. Um, Tig, Tig, I think more so even than some of the other sergeants yeah. that we've seen so far, or well, that I've seen so far. We've only probably only seen one or two. But. Tig's the only one in the club. Well, the Tacoma, I can't remember what his actual fucking name is, but for the Tacoma charter, he his his patch says sergeant. Oh, sergeant happy, arms. yeah, yeah, happy. No, goes- no, 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 not happy. Tacoma, the other guy that Tig fights, uh, like when he comes in, Tig uh, uh, um, votes to keep him out of the out of the. Oh, uh, well, I haven't Crow got charter. to. I haven't got to him yet. Yeah. Uh, Kozik. Kozik. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So we've he, seen he a couple of sergeant, sergeant in Arms characters. Yeah, he's from a different chapter, for yeah. sure. Or ha- Happy, I think, is Nomad. Uh, and uh, Happy is also very Tig-like in that they're both like... Hap is... So he's funny. The guy who plays Happy is a legit biker. Yeah. Like, part of an MC, like, legit. And oh, so really? he, he brings a lot to that show that... Nobody else can. Yeah, essentially. Um, and going going to background for the show before I continue on with the story, Kurt Sutter actually um, did a lot of research before he did the show. He actually spent time um, with some uh, chapter presidents from different clubs. Um, spent some time with the Hell's Angels. Spent some time with some other other clubs, actually like legit outlaw clubs, um, to the point where he kind of felt comfortable doing the show. A lot of people made fun of Jax's white shoes the whole time because he kind of has the gangster limp and the white shoes. Yeah, but. He said that um, a, a good portion of the of the higher up guys that he spent time with when he was kind of hanging out with the bikers and whatnot. There's a lot of guys that wore shit like that, like because it's not all black boots and 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 leathers and shit like that. There's they're a little bit more modern, a little bit more 
see i didn't particularly like that look on jackson i haven't moved past it yet i think pretty soon like the, there is the sort of Riker grows the beard haircut event although the show's really good even before that and unlike the Riker grows the beard trope but i have heard you know the haircut is impending uh, uh so to speak um and i'm wondering if they're going to change wardrobes but yeah he does he does look a little more gangstery you know, like, he's got the flannel on he wears a lot of flannel white boy gangster yeah. his cut um yeah but uh anyway but that part i didn't have a problem with actually that 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 to me came across exactly i think probably as it was intended which is like Authentic. no you're picturing these big yeah. hairy biker guys and that's like not, not what all, they all yeah, yeah yeah um so um picking up on where i left on the story though we 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 meet um cameron hayes i think his name is hayes right cameron something yeah you're correct yes um he is not who clay and tig were intending to meet when they went to the bar to meet up um to discuss continuing relationships uh or continuing arms dealing with with the irish and whatnot um it turns out their regular guy's dead because the uh port authority in is it oakland i think oakland port authority yeah um had him killed the regular guy because of uh, a dispute over money and whatnot. So um, while that's happening, the Mayans are also actively trying to assassinate clay. Correct. Um, And that happens in the bar. And the only person that ends up getting shot is actually Cameron, um, which leads into bringing Tara closer to the club because she's got to come and actually help save him. Pull a bullet out of his ass. Yeah. That's not even a metaphor. That juice, that juice has his finger stuck in to stop the bleeding. (laughs) That was a good scene. Is your finger in me ass? Yeah. It's not in your... Well, I mean, technically, yeah, yeah, yeah I guess it is of, in your ass. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, so we, we, we meet him for the first time. Um, at the same time, we have him not knowing whether he's going to live or die, kind of ask the Sons of Anarchy, hey, this guy that's the Port Authority, like, you guys got to take him out because that was my next job and I'm not going to get to do it now. Yep. Um, and so they agree to do that. Um, meanwhile, we have Opie who is a character that you meet early on on the show. He's Jax's best friend. Uh, did five years in prison for the club. A nickel. A nickel, yeah. if you will. Yeah. Um, did a nickel uh, for the club. And uh, his wife, Donna, not too keen on him going back to the club full-time. So he's been trying to earn money uh, by working for a mill and shit, and it's not going well. Like, they're behind on their bills. Um, I don't know why she doesn't have a job, but, you know. They got that the kids. Weird. I mean, I don't know. Anyway, the, the thing is, is that they are woefully behind on the bills. Like they're yeah. talking about being like three months behind on the mortgage and having, you know, out of control credit card debt and all yeah. that kind of stuff. Because so. since Opie's been out, which is relatively recently, like I get the impression he's only been out for maybe a year. Yeah, tops. he's not been out a long time. And and Ope decides um, kind of arbitrarily that he's going to at least do something for the club to try and earn a little bit if he yeah. can here and there, like some uh, protection runs for Unser's trucking, yeah. stuff like that. Um and then he kind of ends up deciding at some point, hey, um, I'm not, the mill's not working, Donna, and you're not going to like this, and I don't care if you like it, but this is what it is. Yep. He, he, he kind of essentially says, like, I, I can't be one of those guys who goes and works 10 hours to make absolutely no money and yeah. come home and, you know. So he, he says, essentially, like, I'm going back to the club and fucking deal with it. Like, So he, he ends up on the... This is the way I'm protecting my family. And Donna, you know, it's kind of interesting, that relationship, too, because Donna's sort of like you can tell she really really loves this fucking guy because you, you i mean man it just and it's not it. even just him like she really like jacks she really has a, a significant amount of respect for because of their friendship between him and opie and whatnot like jacks is able to talk to donna on a level that a lot of people can't yeah 
and, and, and he's really honest with her about the, he's like, you can't keep him half in half out because you're going to be on the losing side of it. Essentially. Yeah. Yep. He, so. He's either going to be all the way in or all the way out or this, this sort of, you know, one foot in the water thing isn't going to work. Yeah. And, and we uh, both know what all the way out means. Yep. You know, so, so, uh, Ope jumps back into the club essentially. Um, yeah. He's assigned the task of, of going with Bobby and, and Jax to, uh, kill the Port Authority guy. Yep. And Clay says specifically, if he's going to get back in the club, he's a trigger man. Yep. So Clay, Clay, uh, decides that uh opie needs to be the guy that kills the guy and uh bobby's gonna be there for no yeah bobby elvis bobby's gonna be there for backup yep essentially so they're gonna be up front and center and Jax is the lookout guy slash getaway driver um so they go there and ope has uh um uh, basically a moment like, of doubt yeah he's just like I, should i be killing people again i mean this been, it's been a while and uh i don't know Bob, if you ever killed anybody before either yeah like i don't know if he was so in the club um and this is the same for a lot of motorcycle clubs there's actually um there's sergeant of arms which we know is the guy that does the dirty work um for the prez there's also what we call men of mayhem men yeah. of mayhem are, are dudes that have killed people for the club and um i don't know if ope is a man of mayhem prior to i honestly do not I, I didn't pay attention to that and i should have this time around i see watching the show the first time i didn't even know that until you just told me right now yeah um, um they, they, man they do such a good job there's a lot of little things like that that i'm, I'm sure i'll catch on rewatch it, because it's, it's it's funny because and you'll find this out later too um when they actually vote on taking somebody out mm-hmm. especially when it's somebody within the club or something like that they they vote and and the the vote is whether or not this person is going to meet mr mayhem Oh, okay. You know what I mean? So Gotcha. Um anyway, so Ope as Eddie was saying, Ope kinda has a moment of doubt. And uh Bobby Elvis ends up taking the, the shot on the dude and they kill the dude. Um unbeknownst to them, there's somebody in the apartment and they see the whole thing. Yep. Um but as far as they know, they get away clean. Yep. Only to find ATF knocking on the door. They arrest Bobby Elvis because they got a positive ID from the, the witness on him. Opie, though, they couldn't get a positive ID on. but they, Even though they basically show a sketch that's der- <laughs> almost yeah. certainly him. Like, I don't know. <coughs> like, um, it could be anybody. Agent Stahl does her level best to fuck him over, though, because they actually essentially make it look like he's accepting a witness protection deal. Oh, this is actually uh, step one for just determining that Agent Stahl is one of the biggest cunts in the entire world. Oh, yeah. Uh, so what Stahl does essentially is Opie is drowning in debt and, uh, she wants to fuck over the club so that they will turn on each other and, you know, basically lead to a better end than her. So her Machiavellian plan here is essentially to, um, she picks the family up, doesn't put cuffs on anybody, but takes them with yeah, them. She's setting up Opie like a rat and she pays off a lot of his bills with, uh, federal money. Yep. And it's not clear as you're watching this for the first time. Sorry, spoilers again. Uh, it's not clear that that's not actually what's happening. Like you don't see Opie for a while. No. Uh, and eventually, of course, it's revealed that Opie did not, in fact, rat uh, because, you know, then we'd have to hate that character because even at this point, like your morality starts to get fucked up watching the show. Like I was just talking about this earlier, but uh, I'm watching. And I'm like, well, Opie can't be a rat. The club would have to kill him and they would be totally right for doing that. Wait, no, that's not how things should work. But anyway, um, it, it, this, this part is, is crazy because the, the whole setup and, and the reactions and interactions between agent stall and Opie for one, but Donna for two, because Donna, who is not at, at this point, all aboard 
with Obi going back she in full time. She has no idea what's going on. As much as she knows that Opie's rejoining the club, she has no idea his involvement in anything. She doesn't know if she if he's, you know, tran- like doing charity runs, you know, toys for tots level shit or if she's out knocking guys uh, uh over. Um she thinks she has no idea. She knows what the club can be. Yeah, but she doesn't understand Opie's level of involvement. But she does make a decision based on Stahl's actions during this time that nope. I'm going to trust my husband and I don't actually give a shit what he's doing for the club, but I like him more than I like you and fuck off. Um, Which puts actually the family in a really dangerous position because um, now that they're out, they're not being protected by the feds who the, and the club at this point is still kind of on the fence about whether or not he's a, he's a rat or not. Yeah. So Opie comes into the club and essentially says along something along the lines of like, here's what's happening. We, I know she's trying to frame me for being a rat and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, while Opie's giving a speech, Tig's out searching the car with a little EM detector device and he finds bugs all over his shit, bugs in his truck, bugs in his cell phone. So they think that he is, you know, wired and ratting for the FBI. Um, uh, at least Clay, Clay and Tig definitely do. I think uh, they keep Clay and Tig keep that secret to themselves. And as far as the rest of the club knows, uh, Opie is telling the truth. And they're welcoming him back with open arms and whatnot. Yeah, which is somewhat ironic because he's telling the truth. Uh, and that makes the season end sort of all the more tragic. Um, yeah, this this part... Th- this hurt to watch. Like, this is one of the... the this was like, ugly. As soon as I saw what, like, there's that moment where you see what's coming. Like, okay, so the setup for this is essentially you see Clay and Tig talking and they decide, like, we've got to kill Without a club vote, they're just arbitrarily making this decision, like, for the good of the club, Opie's got to die. Yep, they're like, they don't think that they'll vote, they don't want to reveal it, they just decide essentially Opie has to die. So they set it up. Uh, Clay says, you know, make it look like this rival gang, uh, you know, did it. We, We need to go back a little bit. Because we haven't talked about the Niners even a little bit. Because, yeah, we haven't talked about the Niners. And the first time that Tig is tasked with killing Opie, it takes place in the doll warehouse. That's true. And um, we find out that Tig is petrified of dolls. Like, he's, he is almost incapacitated when there's dolls. Yeah, it is. It is. Like, we're not even making light of it. Like, uh, he is absolutely terrified of dolls. Like, in the way that most of us would face, you know, armed gunmen, that, Tig doesn't give a shit about armed gunmen, but if you turn a little, you know, Susie wets her pants at him, he, he, he's, like, floored. Like, like instead of rolling uh, fucking a natural 20, like, he rolled a 1. Yep, every when time. When it comes to dolls. Every time. Like, that's yeah. it, that's it. Um, Opie saves his ass. Opie caps a couple Niners that are uh, about ready to gun down Tig, and that's when Tig has second thoughts. Like, he's like, I can't kill this dude because he just fucking popped these dudes. Yep. He totally had my back sort of situation. Unfortunately, um, Tig didn't take that news to Clay. He yeah, kept it to himself, which is th- kind of fucked this, up. There's a lot of things about this that are fucked up. That's, that is definitely one of the things that I was like, how do you still make that decision? Like, he could have just left you there to die. He has no reason to save your ass. Like, uh, you know, if if you're if he is what you think he is, uh, why would he bother with that? Why would he put him himself in a situation where he's getting shot at by other guys? Like, there's no reason to do that if he's an FBI rat. There's lots of easier ways to get around it than this. Right. So, anyway, that was a big logic loop uh, hole for Tig, especially. And, I, I, like you said, I don't think he ever tells Clay. So Which I don't think um, he's not going to lose points for being out of character, though, because, like, that is Tig's character. Like, he doesn't. Logic and reason are not his thing. He's there to pull the trigger, and that's about it. So, yeah. um, anyway, but so that's where we get we get into the the situation with them setting up. Yeah, 
Clay, Clay, to be Clay shot essentially by rival says gang. Clay Clay are, um, orchestrates this the the shit so that uh, um, Tig can take him out at the the warehouse and then it'll look like crossfire and he's just another victim of gang violence and all that kind of bullshit. Uh, that does not work out that way though, obviously no. because Tig can't go through with it. So Clay essentially says instead we're gonna go make it look like a drive by. Um, you know the the rival gang that we're talking about are not rival gang and they're actually supplying guns to them and that's a whole complicated relationship, but. Um, the the gang that we're talking the, about the one niners the one niners they're they're a, a black gang out of oakland yeah they they they're the gangsters like they are the um you know what you'd picture you know in the way that you'd picture biker stereotypes the niners and the and the mayans are actually beefing over heroin territory is yeah. is kind of the thing and and the premise at the beginning of the show is that the 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 sons supply the niners with guns but they don't sell to the mexican gang yep so it kind of gives the niners the advantage because they got the weaponry to, to hold their territory and to possibly expand their territory. Yep. Um, so anyway, the so TIG doing, doing what the good right-hand man does steals a fucking escalator, whatnot. And, and, you know, puts a mask on, makes himself look like he's a, he's part of the one niners to, to take out Opie. Okay. So before we get there though, uh, this is all happening at, uh, um, Oh God, we haven't even talked about this. We yet. haven't even talked about Abel. No, Jax has a son. Jax's son, his name is Abel, uh, born to a crackhead mother. Um, he has been stuck in the hospital for the first I don't know how much time it has passed at this point, but a significant you know portion, six weeks I would say at the minimum. Um, he's been stuck in the hospital for six weeks, and finally Abel gets to go home. So they're bringing Abel home. That's uh, Jax's son. And everybody's at the party. The club's at the party. Everybody's super happy for him. And uh, the thing that, uh, you know, they decide after this party, essentially, that Tig's going to take out Opie. So Opie drives this truck. The wife normally has the the, The station wagon wagon with the kids. Um, And I can't remember exactly what the reason is, but uh, they they need to do something. And so Donna wants to... to help clean up and whatnot oh yeah and yeah so that's Ope that's takes exactly the kids home yeah donna goes to get some cleaning supplies and whatnot yeah she says oh i gotta go run and get some ajax or something like that and so they said oh it's fine opie you know opie actually at this point is a is a solid fucking dude like you think at this point like oh man he he couldn't kill the guy he's taking care of his kids he just wants to make money for his family and so opie says is something along the lines of like oh don't worry i'll take the kids home you can take the truck you know, go grab the cleaning supplies, head back, whatever. So, uh, Opie heads home in the car with the station wagon. Uh, Donna takes the truck. And this is the moment where my heart absolutely drops through the fucking floor. Like, it's not going to be the only time. Just no, no. But like, as I'm watching this, like I'm watching this, like just tearing holes through my seat. Like I, I'm so nervous at this point because you just know, like, I would have been really surprised if they didn't go the way they did. Like you can see this tragedy unfolding. Like you know exactly what's going to happen, and so what's going to happen exactly is exactly what I expected. Um, uh, Donna rolls up to a stoplight, stoplight in the truck. Tig rolls up behind her, can't see her, uh, can't tell that it's Donna, not Opie. Unloads an entire Mac Ten clip. Yep, pulls up next to her, shits himself because he realizes he just killed Donna, not Opie. And drives off. And then we promptly find out both Clay and Tig uh, that, yeah, Stahl was, in fact, the rat. Like, Stahl was, in fact, setting this shit up. They're, they're, 
at the same time that it's discovered that this happened to Donna, like the very next day is the, the day that the feds actually have to release the name of the witness and whatnot. And, and the club finds out it's not OB. Um, at the same time, Donna's dead. They're having to do the memorial and whatnot. And it does not take more than one conversation between Deputy Hale and Jax for Jax to realize exactly what the fuck just happened. Yep. Okay, so I want to... Um, there's a couple of things I want to hit and then I want to stop talking because I think this is a good point to stop at the show. Uh, we we right. do season two next week. Yeah. Um, so there's a couple of things. So number one, uh, we've just given you... A, a, oh, God. The the most uh, play-by-play, you know, sort of bullshit drive-by version of what the show is. Um, you if, if you were even moder- moderately... Not even moderately. You know what? Even if you're a little bit bored by what we were just saying, go watch the show anyway because it's super, super good. Uh, second, there is a couple of points that I want to hit on that aren't we haven't really addressed by talking about the story. Number one is... I was impressed by the filmmaking aspects of this show. Um, so number one, uh, there's not a lot of budget in this show. Like I'm used to watching some, you know, uh, you know, when you you talk about watching Supergirl or something like that, there's a lot of big budget CGI, CG and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, uh, big sets, uh, etc. This show is not that at all. Like this is very character driven, uh, small sets. S- incredibly small budget or what i would assume is incredibly small budget because aside from having a shit ton of bikes they they, they don't shoot anywhere magical you yeah. know for the most part maybe we'll get there um you know we're going to ireland which presumably is northern california in real life but whatever uh anyway th- i i was very impressed by that aspect of things the fact that they do so much with so little in the show is very interesting secondarily there's a lot of other interesting filmmaking parts of this i'm gonna like, blow your mind by the way okay the scenes that are even filmed in northern Northern California are not even filmed in Northern California. That's funny. Sutter said that was one of the hardest things was finding places in Southern California that resembled Northern California because there's a huge difference. In- oh, it's fantastically different. Like yeah. when you picture Oregon, you're essentially picturing what uh, is very similar to Northern California. And then you to picture... To some extent. Yeah, yeah it's a little more some- arid, but yeah. It, it definitely is. And you definitely feel it more than you can see it. But I'm, I'm saying like if you showed some pictures of some typical Northern California landscapes, you would probably mistake them or you might mistake them for Oregonian landscapes. My, my uncle actually lived in um, a town called Megalia, California, which is in Northern California outside of a town called Paradise Mm -hmm. and his front yard was like evergreens like it was like I mean it was hot as shit and my my father as fuck but it was it was trees like yeah my father-in-law lives in Northern California so we can get to go visit like it it does feel a little homey it's hotter than shit there compared comparatively and it doesn't rain but yeah it it feels a little bit like home they get snow though yeah a lot of fucking snow in the in the winter yeah. So anyway, so that that to me is one interesting thing, or one of the things that I really like about the show. They they do so much with so little. And uh, if I weren't so hyper obsessed with um, you know the filmmaking aspects and watching stuff, watching shows for things like this, or if I could turn my brain off to it, I probably wouldn't notice. Like there are sh- some low budget shows that I look at, and I'm just like, well, fuck, man. Uh, uh, you know, maybe somebody should kick a twenty year way so it can look at least a little bit believable. Um. There's a show, I can't remember the name of it, but um, it actually had Amanda Tapping in it from SG-1. Yeah, I know what you're talking about, but I don't remember the name of it either. Yeah, that that show, it was Sanctuary. Done, Sanctuary, yeah. I did. I only watched like it one was episode. almost entirely CG, but it was not good CG. Nope. And it it like the the backdrops and stuff like that looked terrible. Like I'm just like really like I got fifty bucks, like you could probably film outside of a real yeah. building for that so 
the second thing is that um, that low budget doesn't hurt the show at all because uh, none of the things like we're used to watching a lot of nerdy bullshit that needs a budget, so to speak. Um, you know, like uh, sci-fi is generally served well by having a bigger budget, uh, and this show doesn't need that at all. So that that's another good reason why um, it doesn't necessarily take you out of it all. Um, okay, so the other thing I want to highlight is like aside from the low budget aspects of the fact and the fact that you never notice it, there's a lot of really uh, small but poignant moments in the show that if you're watching for them jump out at you as far as the filmmaking goes like one of the things that jumped out at me is that you know we just mentioned in the beginning that uh Jax has this thing where he he doesn't like seeing where the clip's going and he kind of wants to turn it around and so on and so forth and so one of the best uh, uh visual depictions I saw of this is at Donna's funeral uh everybody else is standing in black and for reasons uh, we don't need to go into uh Jax walks in and he's not he's almost pure white save for the cut uh, uh well i guess he's in and you know bright white and uh jeans probably yeah. and then he puts on his cut as he's walking up and it just serves as such a stark contrast to the rest of the club that i thought that that was interesting and entirely deliberate uh uh more that bit of uh um sim- symbology was uh deliberate and not just you know like you know the circumstances of how he got there um and that's that's far from the only moment moment that's like that. There's a lot of little things that they put in the show like that that are very impressive. Um, the last thing I wanted to talk about uh, in regards to the show, and I could probably go on about this for a long time because there's a lot of things I like about it, but this element in particular, uh, the way that they depict the club and the brotherhood of the club itself. Like I found myself sitting there saying, "Man, I should I should join a motorcycle club because like there is a certain brotherhood between all of the characters, even you know as fucked up as it is. Like as one moment we're seeing everybody try to kill each other, or we're seeing you know the the club president take a hit out on another member. There is a brotherhood amongst the club, uh, that that is just so amazing uh, or to watch on screen, and you know like the lengths they'll go to each for each other and the things that they'll do for each other, uh, um." <laughs> that that i really enjoyed watching you yeah, know so. to expand on that i mean um clay for all intents and purposes um i get the impression clay legitimately genuinely loves opie he does and it's and it's it's one of those things where like he and tig make that decision because they they genuinely feel like that's what's best for the club because they can't yeah it's like it's kind of like affleck the... and, and bvs you know it's kind of the if there's a one percent chance that this is happening, we have to take it as an absolute certainty. Yeah, it, it, it struck me very much as like a cut off a limb to save the rest of the the host sort of situation. Yeah. Like they did not want to do it, but they didn't hesitate either. Yeah, and and what we're not even we didn't even mention the um the <laughs> the dynamic with uh, Gemma and Cherry. We yeah. haven't talked really about half sack much at all. The prospect. Yeah. No. There's so there's so much. I don't think we can. No, I mean, we can't. We can't. I mean, there's everything. there's a lot, but I mean, they they do manage to fit an amazing amount of story into each episode. That's, that's the thing is, we talked about the first two episodes last time, and you can do a pretty good job of talking about the first two episodes and and kind of hit everything. Once it gets to episode three, though, business picks up and it picks up pretty quick, and there's there's multiple things going on at a time, which is the thing that um, above the filmmaking. Or at least the the visual aspect of the filmmaking and anything else. Like the thing that this show probably does better than any other show that I've seen is having multiple storylines that are happening at the same time that intersect when they need to, but when they don't need to, like not 
like one hand doesn't know what the other's doing and it does it really well. Yeah. The, another element, you know, um, gosh, one more thing and then we'll move on to something else because we've got so many comics, got comics to, talk about. to talk about. Yeah. Uh, Chekhov's gun. So uh, hopefully everybody knows what the trip Chekhov's gun is. And that is basically saying that if you put a gun on stage in act one, you got to fire by act three. Uh, or you fucked up essentially they do so much with that trope like um, they do so much with that aspect of things like there are so many things that definitely come back in that way uh, that that man some there are very few moments that like I saw coming uh, there the, you know maybe I saw coming five minutes before it happened on screen in real time but not like back to season three that I'm watching and going oh that's what's gonna happen you know so uh, yeah very good show all right, I'm gonna ask you this. Yeah, shoot. And uh, I'm not gonna. We need a whatever cut. Yes. I'm no. Okay. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not gonna expound on it. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna tell you yes or no or right or wrong or anything like that. Um, you're midway through season three right now. Yep. How does the story end for Jax? By the time this show's over. God, that's a hard one. I gotta say, I, I want to say. Give me your gut reaction. I want to tragically. Know. We'll come back to that in a couple of episodes. Yeah, I, and I for, just for what I, I I must say, I'm I'm pretty goddamn impressed with your poker face. Yeah, so I, I, I got no reason to spoil it for you, man, because I want you to enjoy the show. Oh, I know. I just I would have a hard time, like myself, you know, taking the reaction and not saying anything or even indicating anything. No, I'm. Hey, man. All right, comic books. Let's talk some comic books. Uh, talk about something so a little much. bit less dramatic than Sons of Anarchy and yeah. you know superheroes and yeah. the world ending. Yeah. Uh, starting with Aquaman, which we actually both enjoyed. Uh, this, this this book is actually going to get moved toward the end of the, the the list next time we have to talk about it because um, it was I, solid. Here's the thing. When I read comic books, I tend to read the comic books that I think I'm going to enjoy less first so that by the time I hit the ones that I know I'm going to really dig. Yeah, you save the best for last. Exactly. Um, unfortunately, Aquaman was one of those that I was just like, eh, whatever. And then the last two books have been a fucking amazing, so... Yeah, I don't know about the last two books, but this, definitely this one I really enjoyed. Like as I was reading this, no, I was like, "You liked the last one too." Yeah, that's true. Rebirth wasn't that good, but the the next book was actually excellent. No, you, you, okay, you're you're right, you're right, you're right. I I don't think I was blown away by the last book. I still wouldn't necessarily put this in my top five or anything like that. Uh, um, as far as the rebook rebirth books go, well, maybe actually, it's pretty good. But um, and, and the art in this one was significantly better than than the see, last issue. That's it. Didn't there? Here's the thing: the last issue. The art didn't suck, but there was some pieces in it that were just really like really? over the top that we yeah. didn't like. Yeah. And there wasn't any of that in this book, I don't think. No. Um, and for the most part, I really liked this book. Like this book actually helped me empathize with uh, uh, Arthur a little bit more and Aquaman in general and actually helped me get into his story a little bit, uh, which up until this point, I hadn't been basically at all as much as i didn't hate the last book uh in retrospect and i i you know i get i get that this is probably a little bit different from what i said on the last show wasn't super into the last book as much or at least in retrospect um it was okay i definitely didn't want to put it down and it was better than the rebirth book yeah but this book actually picked up significantly for me like now i'm actually kind of looking forward to the next aquaman book which is you know solid so well what this book did was um Elaborated on uh, on the history between Black Manta and Aquaman, yep. um, which I knew this part of the story already because it's been talked about in the comics before. But like, um, this is the thing: like every comic book is somebody's first comic book. Yep. 
And so not knowing the history and just seeing Black Manta there and going like, um, why is he even there? Like, I don't even understand why he doesn't like this guy or whatnot. Like, he, you know you hear him talk about killing his father, but you don't actually know what the deal was until this book. Or if you have read Aquaman in the past, I mean, you know from yep. from that. But um, did a really good job telling that story, and it did a really good job of taking a different way yeah, the Aquaman, ending. I wouldn't have predicted the ending. Aquaman didn't react the way that a traditional comic book hero reacts in these situations, <clears throat> like with remorse and whatnot. Like he was, he was like, "Hey, I shouldn't have killed your father, but doing that made me what I am today, and I, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not proud of it, but I can't take it back because it's why I do what I do." Yeah. uh... That's pretty good. I think the the thing was that essentially like this is one of the things that makes him a leader. Like every leader makes mistakes and this is one of the things that made him realize that his actions have consequences and so on and so forth and although he thought he was doing the right thing at at the time, like it wasn't in the in in hindsight and so um I I you know, like I said, it made me empathize a lot with more with Arthur uh, and Aquaman and made me really more interested in the character than I've ever been. So that was interesting. And exactly because of what you said, like when, when uh, Manta was saying that, I thought Aquaman's going to do the whole, you know, crumbly cave bullshit sort of fall down and cry and be like, you're right. And I screwed up and blah, blah, blah. And it was going to turn into one of those, you know, like Mira's got to come save him sort of bullshit. But no, he was just like, nope, I own that shit. Like I screwed up. Uh, but that's, that's a big, that made me who I am. Cause now I realize exactly what a big deal that was. And, uh, that's how I, you know, that's why I be a hero. So stuff like that doesn't happen sort of thing. Uh, so I really like that. And then the stalemate at the end with, uh, I, Manta. Dude, I love, I love that because that was even more impressive to me. Cause he, he basically hands Manta the trident and he's like, if you're going to kill me, do it. But how are you going to do it? Are you going to kill me with a trident? Or are you going to cut my throat? What are you going to do? Because basically at the end of the day, all you are is hate and revenge. And once I'm gone, you're still going to be those things, but you, you have no focus at this point. Like you're an empty husk. Yeah. He, he said like, he essentially said, what is going to be as fulfilling and what is going to fulfill this rage inside of you? Like, however you kill me, how is that going to be, you know, the thing that sets you back? And you're like, everybody wants to imagine that you have this big revenge fantasy or villains have this big revenge fantasy and then they're going to kill the bad guy or the guy that they're after and they're going to go back to being normal. And uh, that, I think, is, you know, ultimately told here with Man- Manta. Uh, Manta, you know, essentially, you know, that's what they set up. Manta is going to go back, going to kill Aquaman. Vengeance pack fulfilled. Everybody's fine. We go home. We have scones. Uh, Problem is, Manta doesn't have anything to go back to. Yeah. So, and that's what Aquaman basically points at. Like, what are you going to do? You're going to kill me? Is it going to make anything better for you? Uh, are you gonna not kill me? You know wh- and, what is the thing? So. And no matter how you do it, it's not gonna be enough. Yeah, like it's never gonna be enough. You're never gonna be happy with the outcome here because there's never gonna be anything that you know. So that that was a little bit of mind fuckery and actually I think a little cold on Aquaman's part, which was again something that made me interested in the character because uh, that that's a different take on a superhero. I think he could be a little cold. Like, go ahead and kill me. You're still gonna be a broken husk of a person. You know, like. Anyway, like yeah, this book. I did too. Go check it out if you haven't already. Batman 2. Batman 2. Um, Otherwise known as the Adventures of Gotham Girl and Gotham. This is interesting because um, obviously these guys aren't 
what they outwardly appear to be. I would assume not. Uh, so we got a couple of superheroes that appeared in Gotham that we've talked about, I think, in the last uh, issue. Not last issue, but the um, we first were introduced to them in the last issue when they saved Bruce from the, you know, killing himself, saving Gotham from the plane. Uh, so Gotham, and I don't mean the town, I mean the superhero guy that calls himself Gotham, uh, who appears to have some sort of superpower. He can fly. He's got some sort of x-ray vision type shit going on. Super strength. Super like. strength. He's kind of superman yeah, and Gotham Girl, who uh, again seems very super girl ish, whatever, are in town, and Batman basically says, "You know, we're going to go on a run. We need, we need your help." Um, doesn't this one open? This one actually opens up a little bit different. This one opens up with the, the two of them fighting a uh, villain that I haven't seen in comic books in a long time, which is Solomon Grundy. Oh yeah, you're right. You're right. It does. And um. And what's really cool about this is Batman, for the most part, has kind of given these guys some leeway as, in terms of letting them do what he, they think they need to do and whatnot. But he shows up, beats Grundy out from under them, basically. Yep. They're, they're actually not doing super great, I think. And and they're like, thanks for your help and whatnot. Um, and he's like, uh, you, you would have beaten them in this amount of time. And they're like, oh, that's great. He's like, no, he would have crushed that guy in less than that time. So Yeah, he's talking about fractions of a second. He says, like, you would have had them in, like, 6.73 seconds or something like that. And if I did it in, you know, 4.5 or something like that, if you would have gone all the way to 6.7, that guy over there would be dead. You know, like... Yeah, being Batman. Like, knowing the numbers that Batman knows. Yep. Which, for, for me, this was... As much as I love the Snyder run, he didn't do that. No. During that run. And so for me, this was like, oh, yeah, that's Batman. Yeah, like, that's the guy. See, like there's, like I said, there's all kinds of different interpretations of Batman, and I love all of them. Like, for example, I still really like the Nolan universe, but that Batman does not make sense in the Justice League. This Batman does. Yeah. The Batman that makes that calculation, the Batman that figures that shit out, that's the Batman that belongs in the Justice League. So I'm kind of happy to see they're going this direction with the character because... It was all always a little bit with the New Fifty Two, um, and you know, there's been other incarnations that have been like this. Uh, Batman always felt like a, you know, like the books were written pretty significantly different from the the, you know, say the bigger titles like the Justice League and so on and so forth. So, yeah. I like that seeing that because you know, Batman can and should be able to hold his own with these super powered, you know, Gotham people, and that's how he does it. So. Uh, what else do we get in this book? Um, he, we get a little bit of exposition by uh, Bruce when he's in the Batcave, uh, talking about the jet airliner from the Batman number one, where he was willing to sacrifice himself. Yeah, and he's like, "There's gonna be yeah another like, situation that comes up. There, I'm I'm gonna die at some point, and somebody's gonna have to take over for me." And I think he specifically mentions Dick. I, I'm pretty sure. Like, I'm I'm gonna die, and Dick's gonna take the mantle, and then Dick's gonna die, and who you know? Yeah. He he's he's very. I think he's kind of thinking about legacy a little bit. Like, I think he wants to believe that Gotham and Gotham Girl are what they say they are, so that maybe he doesn't have to die as soon, and that Dick doesn't have to take over the mantle and die, and yeah, things like that. Like, so. like maybe they actually can. Like, I, I get the feeling that he's very hopeful that they are what they say they are, just so he doesn't have to be this thing. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, th- this is another interpretation of the character. I get the feeling that it doesn't really matter. Even if they were, he'd still have to be Batman. 
but I especially like I got the feeling more that like he wants to protect Dick. Like if uh, um, Batman didn't have to be Batman, he probably still would be anyway. But would Dick Grayson? Yeah, that's, uh, I, and I don't think so. And I, I don't think so either. So like I think that he really wants them to be real because his, he's sort of reflecting on what's going to happen after he goes. And he thinks that Dick Grayson would take up the mantle. So he, I think he's kind of thinking like I don't want him to have to do that. And so, you know, it essentially yeah. be cool if he didn't have to. Yeah. So and that's that's kind of what we get out of this particular book. I mean, there's some other stuff, but those are the, the key points, the important parts. Yeah. Green Arrow. Um, I dug it. As did I. Uh, so we find Ollie essentially floating, um, not floating. Uh, yeah, he's on the boat with uh, Shadow, who in this, uh, you know, if you're familiar with Shadow from the the TV show, you're probably like, Shadow just shot arrows and shit. That's rude. You know, like he's trying, she's trying to take down Ollie, and, and as I understand it, Shadow is actually kind of a bad guy in most yeah. incarnations of Green Arrow. So um, Shadow has just manipulated uh, the Emmy. girl Emmy. I have to don't know why I didn't remember that off the top of my head. Um, Matt's daughter has just shot Green Arrow <laughs> with a not, bunch not of arrows. No, different Emmy has just shot Green Arrow with a bunch of arrows, and they are essentially you know dumping his body off a boat and leaving him for dead. Here's here's the kicker though. Um, his little helper guy, who I don't remember his name right nah, off the bat, no clue. Uh, he tracks him down based on a, a tracker that's uh, one of Emmy's trackers. Yep. Um, so. It, it would seem to me, and they didn't actually elaborate on this at all, but it would seem to me that Emmy did that on purpose. I would think so, too. I think they're kind of setting that up. Yeah. Um, so I like this, too, because th- this... Uh, God damn. This feels very much like the Arrow show a little bit in that we're getting an Oliver Queen who has no money. He has no resources, essentially. He, he The only thing he has is being the Green Arrow at this point. Like That is essentially where we leave the book is... Um, the the book is essentially after he comes to um you know gets ashore manages to contact his buddy um gets himself back to you know one of his, his uh, secret arrow cave yeah his secret arrow cave uh he basically comes to the conclusion he's got no money that you know there's because not- he's being discredited in addition to like the fact that the most of the world thinks he's dead um his personal assistant apparently was also murdered suspiciously mm-hmm. um and and all ties would say that it was a murder suicide by ollie yep so his assets have been sold mm-hmm. his his uh ceo has essentially taken over the company demolished his apartment building all of this stuff so he's got no place to go the problem is is he's- that even with his secret arrow cave his little buddy is it henry is that his name maybe i don't, I don't remember know. i don't remember it's just like I can't work for you for free. Yeah. Like and until you're cleared, like I can't even really associate with you. So yeah. So and that that's the final piece. He he can't even prove that he's Oliver Queen. Like, but in the meantime, we also have Canary, who's mm-hmm. um definitely got it bad for Ollie Queen because she's like he didn't do these things. Like this isn't the man he is. Even though like oh yeah, she's really only known him for two issues in this particular continuity. But like she's like nope, I don't believe it, and I'm gonna go find him. It was really funny. Like this this you can you can almost feel the fan bla- fan backlash from Arrow in this comic book because he's like this is so much a Canary and and uh, Green Arrow story. 
uh, um, at least in a little bit. And she says something along the lines of like, you, you really think Ollie did that? Like Ollie's the most bleeding heart, you know, guy that I, I could ever imagine, you know, like you're crazy. So yeah, she immediately assumes that this is all bullshit. And then we end on Oliver going, basically, I've got no money. I've got no food. We've got no jobs. Our pets heads are falling. No, um, but, but I'm the fucking green arrow. Yeah. But I'm the, but the last thing I do have is that I'm the green arrow. And so we get this pretty triumphant panel that I really liked. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I like this book and, and I like the direction it's going. Like I want to see more for sure definitely and especially you know i'm almost sure that this is a strategy for them they're just looking at the arrow tv show a little oh, bit we met john diggle in this in this book too oh yeah 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 who's um, not a good dude no he's he's actually protecting a piece of shit for money like he's kind of a mercenary yep and that is kind of a thing they're, they're like aren't you basically like james bond but in real life you know so you get an interesting idea but uh diggle is going to be in the comic book yeah uh, Universe. I'm excited to see where that goes. Actually, yeah, it, Diggle is an, a Green Arrow original or an Arrow TV show original, or has he been in the comics before? I think he, I think he's a TV show guy. Yeah, so this is kind of interesting too, and that's another reason that I would say that they are taking uh, uh, the Arrow TV show and they're like, well, how do we not fuck it up? Oh, I know, and then they do the opposite. Um, all right, so let's move on to Green Lanterns too. So, as our resident Green Lanterns fan in chief, Matthew, what did you think? Um, this book still hasn't hooked me yet. I mean, I mean, I'm reading it because it's a Green Lantern title and that's what I do. Yeah. Um, I'm not. It was kind of mad to me too. Yeah. I mean, I, I like the character of Jessica Cruz and unlike you, I read the Justice League series, um, the new 52 Justice League series. So I get why she is what she is. I get why the ring chose her and whatnot. Um, I think they're focusing too much on the uh the personal conflict between her and Simon Baz though. Okay. Um I don't have a lot of patience for that especially when you know that at some point like they're going to work together cooperatively and all that good stuff. Yeah, it's not like they're never going to be friends or anything like yeah. that. Yeah. Um so I didn't like that. I don't like that piece of it. The Red Lanterns were cool. Um for a while and for a while Guy Gardner was actually leading the Red Lanterns. Okay. Uh, and I like that particular incarnation of it. Like, but the, and the, and the thing is, and they haven't really elaborated on this, but the, the red lanterns are essentially like their planet. That is the source of their power is dying. Okay. Which is why they're doing what they're doing on earth, but they don't do a really good job of, excuse me, bringing new readers into that. Yeah, there's a lot of things that uh, I think I was a little bit left out. Like, I didn't know any of that. So, I was just like, who's this fucking guy and why is he here? Oh, well, whatever. He's the big bad guy. Uh, Jessica still kind of gets on my nerves a little bit because she's like, I'm so afraid of everything and the Green Lantern ring chose me and maybe it made a mistake. And I'm kind of like, yeah, maybe it did. Like, your biggest accomplishment with willpower is, like, going outside. And I understand that's kind of a big deal if you have a massively, you know, claustrophobic, you know. So, the deal with her is she was actually um, the, the crime syndicate. The, yeah. their version of the lantern like he died mm-hmm. the ring chose her the ring actually is evil mm-hmm. and it chooses people that it think that it thinks it can it can overpower and, and take over and whatnot um and it did take over her body for a while and she was kind of banished to the ring and i think i talked about this on a different episode yeah i was but... gonna say th- th- i was just gonna mention like we don't probably need to go over this again because that's the only reason i'm still like interested in her as a character is the the, the setup backstory but that's that you gave why me. the ring chose her is because she was able to overcome her fears and overpower volthoom yep enough to destroy him 
yeah and whatnot um and so that's that's why i'm i'm a, i'm a fan of hers not to mention uh i dig the fact that she's from portland and, yeah so and do I. oregon so i'm just like hey look at that like, yeah um she has to be cool yeah she's a hipster right yeah uh and 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 a xenophobic not xenophobic agoraphobic agoraphobic hipster yeah yeah anyway so, um yeah um, the art in this book didn't impress me at all either though and no there was one scene where i think they're supposed to look happy and it looks to me like they just got gassed by the joker yeah like it's it's very fake happiness and that it just at least the way it's drawn it's just off like it's just off there's a couple of panels in particular that i did not really like at all but that panel in particular sticks out at me as yeah. like what were we going for here um, so, I mean, it's supposed to look like a happy shot, I think, but it, it just, to me, looks like, like I said, they got gassed by the Joker. So yeah. I'm not sure if you want that to be a thing that's happening unless you do it intentionally. Yeah. But anyway, the Red Lanterns are up to no good and they're trying to erect some kind of power source on earth and that's yeah. why things are bad. And one of the things that I do think is kind of funny and I hope we get some explanation for this other than like, oh, we were giving you a shot, you know, which is, uh, we've got a earth level event here, like a big fucking deal sort of event going on. And basically all the heavy hitters are like, you got this two new guys. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you, not really. They just can't reach anybody. Like they call John, they try to call Hal. They cannot get anybody. I don't remember if they try to call guy but i don't think so i don't think so i don't think we know what what guy's doing right now yeah so anyway they definitely try to call john stewart and hal jordan and uh they do not pick up the phone so they're just like well fuck it i guess we're on around on, on our own yeah all right let's talk about uh i purposely skip past superman 2 let's go to superman next okay yeah so superman so we get some Superboy action in here. So I, I dig, I dig this comic book so far. I really do. I'm, I'm, I'm really a fan enjoying of Pete it. Tomasi right now and, and what he's doing with the character of Superman and, uh, well, this new Superman or the old Superman brought to life again or brought to the forefront again and whatnot. Yeah. Um. So he's got his wife Lois and whatnot and and their kid John that that is essentially a Kryptonian human hybrid who has started developing powers. This is what I was really impressed about this. So uh, Clark takes this kid on this mission with him. Um, seemingly to get him to kind of understand his powers a little bit. He's like, he's like basically just sit back and watch kid. I got this. We'll take care of it. Um, and then some giant tentacle monster shows up. Yep. And in order to beat this thing, like it's under some kind of control device. And so in order to beat it, like Clark's like, all right, I'm going to hold this thing here. I want you to use your heat vision and blast this thing. Now, Clark could easily do this himself. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, but he has his kid do it. His kid incinerates his back first. Yeah, and, and the kid's like, oh, fuck, oh, fuck. I didn't mean to do that. And he's yeah. like, don't worry about it. Like, I'm Superman. Yeah, I'm fine. Look, I'm fine. And so the kid, you know, blasts the creature and everybody saves the day. Yeah, the creature swims back into the ocean because it's now got its own mind back and it goes away because it's afraid yeah um but what clark was really doing kind of the whole time is getting this kid to come out of a shell a little bit and 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 admit to what happened with the cat in the last issue yeah um which i was this is the thing man i don't know if that's what he was going for but uh, he knew he knew he knew that that's the that's the panel that i really enjoyed was like well there's a lot i really enjoyed this whole book honestly this is the thing man i talked about this earlier and i talked about like 
you know, the conflict between Jessica Cruz and Simon Baz and whatnot, like, and how they, they tend to draw that stuff out longer than they need to. Mm -hmm. I was really afraid that this kid was going to hold the secret between what happened with the cat and, and the, you know, between him and that girl yep. who's obviously not going to say anything to anybody. Um, and I thought they were going to kind of turn this kid into like a kind of a monster. You know what I mean? Um, Maybe. Yeah. But they didn't like, it was just kind of one of those things where he's like, ah, here's the thing. I kind of killed mom's cat. Cause I didn't understand. I didn't mean to. I yeah. hate vision the cat. My bad. And like Clark's like, well, you're going to tell your mom, but I'm sure she'll be proud of you for, owning up to your mistake even yeah it was a very superman-y clark kent yeah. sort of thing to do like yeah yeah like you and an old up, school kid, good job good job owning it like yeah yeah i, I like that and they, they they went back and had the little funeral from the cat and whatnot which i thought was kind of fucked up but you know yeah. they did it so one of my favorite scenes in the book actually is uh so previously you know he's getting heat vision in the back and clark's like no it's no big deal don't worry about it like i'm fine look look dude i'm barely even i'm getting a little singed like it's no big deal and then in one of the next scenes you see clark actually getting basically like aloe rubbed on his His first aid from lois yeah first aid from lois because like the kid actually did some damage yeah um so that's another thing that I was like, oh, shit, we're getting Superman, man. Like, that's exactly what Superman would do. Superman would take the hit, even though it hurts, and he wouldn't make the kid feel bad about it. And that's that's what Superman is. And I, I you know, I love that. Like, yeah, it, you know, whatever you can say or whether you like the book or not, one of the things that I will say right now on record is that Pete Tomasi gets this character. Yeah, he does, for sure. He definitely does. So I really enjoyed that that whole aspect of it. And then I think we end with two things Superboy or you know john getting touched by a girl yeah so they climb up on the tree john and the girl are sitting on a branch and the girl kind of brushes his hand and rather than blowing a little early he he pinches right through the, the tree, tree branch and uh you know falls and gets a concussion and seems to be knocked out and yeah so what we find out from this is that he's got these powers like superman has only he's vulnerable still like he he can get concussed um, his knees got scraped up in the in the first incident when they were out in the ocean, um, and all that good stuff. And so Lois is kind of like, man, I don't get it. Like this kid has your powers, but he's also yeah. weak. In How does some he ways. have your powers, but he got a concussion and he gets his knees scraped, sort of things? Yeah. So, um, two things came out of this. Number one, they can't they kind of came to that revelation that they're going to have to actually go investigate this somehow. Um, secondly, though, they also came to the conclusion. Um, that they can't, it was not really a conclusion. I don't know why I said that the neighbor guy along with the little girl, like brings the kid back yeah, and like, the neighbor's gotta like, you got to take this kid whatever. to the hospital. We can put him on a truck right now and go. And Clark's like, fuck off. He's fine. Get out. Yeah. So, Which, you know, the least subtle thing ever when Clark's like, no, 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 we're fine. We're good. Not like, no, it's okay. Don't worry about it. You go home. I'm going to take him. But like, nah, we're fine. We don't need fine. anybody. Like, yeah, he just good. fell out of the tree and he's not conscious yet. You know, like, we'll take care of him. So anyway, that was really stupid. But they close the door and Lois is like, dude, what the hell is your problem? And he's like, I need, I need to get him to the Fortress of Solitude. And then the next shot we see is... Uh, dude, I'm excited. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we have this thing sort of scanning. Uh, he's already picked up a little bit of uh, Superboy's DNA from the crash site. Not the crash site, from the fight before. Um, and he's like, you know, he analyzes, realizes he's Kryptonian. manages and to, human. Yeah, manages to gain entrance to the Fortress of Solitude based on that. And then seems to turn into some sort of weird-looking Superman-ish sort of creature. Um. So, did you read the aftermath of the death of Superman? Did you read the Reign of Superman series at all? 
I don't think so. So the character we're being introduced right now is called the Eradicator. Yeah, I did get that because like on the bottom, like on the you know in the mm-hmm. next issue, find out what the Eradicator, blah blah blah. Yeah, so the Eradicator is is one of the four Supermen that came of the Reign of Superman series, and uh, he's also ultimately the reason why Superman came back or was able to come back from being killed by Doomsday. Um, the Eradicator essentially um, is a sentient Kryptonian protector. Gotcha. And um, how it fell in the, into the reign of Superman series when Superman returned um, was he, he woke up from a coma or whatever. You know, he wasn't actually dead, but he also didn't have his powers because he hadn't been exposed to solar energy and mm-hmm. however long and whatnot. The Eradicator essentially poured every ounce of solar energy that he had in him into Clark to get him up to, to fight and wait again. Gotcha. And so we've, I've, I've mentioned this before, and especially at the end of the, um, the last new 52 Superman stories. And we knew we were getting kind of a, a, a new version of reign of Superman. Cause we have the, the Lex Luthor Superman. We've now we've got the eradicator. Uh, I believe there's going to be a Lois with powers as well. Um, so we're 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 seeing the beginning of that now. The only differences between this and the the Re- the original Reign of Superman stories is we've got a Superman. Yeah. So um I'm I'm curious where this is going to go. I love the Eradicator in the original Reign of Superman. Um it's probably one of my favorite comic book storylines there is. Um of course it's one of my first real big yeah events too you know when i started reading comics and whatnot so which you know there's nostalgia you never forget your first yeah yeah so gosh solid book love yeah love yeah, I, I, i'm digging superman I'm, I'm I'm a regular reader right now and i haven't said sure. about a superman book in a long time absolutely in fact i got bored and i didn't finish the new 52 superman so yeah that's a pretty big compliment uh we've got one more rebirth title and that is a brand new rebirth book this week, and that's the Justice League. Indeed, I dug this book, and I'm, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna not bury the lead. I'm gonna tell you why I dug this book right off the bat. Um, about halfway into the story, we get Simon Baz and Jessica Cruz. Okay, yep. not a huge fan of the Green Lanterns book, mind you. Mm-hmm. But we get these guys showing up, and this book did what no New Fifty Two book did that I can remember, and that is they made mention to something that happened. Or that was currently going on. And there was a little box at the bottom. And it said, to see what they're talking about, read Green Lanterns. <laughs> like, there's so, there's some continuity going on in the between these titles. So, as Matt's complained about before, um, the Green Lantern continuity in the, the um, New 52 run was pretty fucked up. Especially when it came to Justice League. So, in the Green Lantern book, for example, you'd ha- have, you know, whoever the Green Lantern was at the time. Hal Jordan, I think, was for... New Hal 52. Jordan, yeah, for the majority. Yeah, so Hal Jordan would be off fighting off in, in some space. completely other space sector. And, uh, and then in the Justice League book, he's there and, you know, they just completely ignore that fact. So it, it, there's some continuity with this book, which I'm, is I'm under nice. the impression that the new 52 Justice League took place several years kind of behind normal continuity. I kind of think maybe. But it never really comes out and says that. Yeah. So. So, um, you know, the thing I liked about this book actually is sort of related to Superman. Like they're watching this event on, on TV. The Justice League is fighting this creature who's basically sending a, a, um, the crab things from Half-Life 2, you know, taking over <laughs> people's brains. <laughs> 
Yep. Uh, taking over people's brains and, you know, brainwashing them to, you know, basically have some sort of culling like event. And we don't know exactly what's going on. And it's not really important because the thing that's really about or about this title is um, Superman and Lois are watching it on TV. And Lois is basically giving Supes the pep talk, like because they basically sort of dev- decided on a not intervention policy with the Justice League uh, because this world had a Superman and they don't really need him and blah, blah, blah. Uh, but, but they don't anymore. Yeah, but that's what Lois is saying. She's like, yeah, dude, they had a Superman. Past tense, dude. Yeah, because Clark's just like, that's the Justice League. They got it. Yeah. They've, they've handled bigger stuff than this. And she's like, yeah, but when they did that, they had was a Superman. Yeah, so. they had a Superman. So um, Lois kind of gives them the pep talk. And she's like, and besides, can you really sit here? You know, that that's not who you are. So Superman takes off. And they all kind of save the day. And this is really reductive, but this is the, definitely the way I think of this book. Like, this is how they get involved with the Justice League. And you have Batman kind of being Batman in this, which is like, yeah, no, we, we need to bring this guy in. Uh, but we also need to watch the shit out of him because he's not our Superman. Yeah. And I like the way that they sort of talk about the, the uh, New 52 Superman with sort of uh, uh, respect, friendship, etc. Um, I really also dig the... Um dynamic between batman and the green lanterns yeah that is there isn't really a dynamic between them and here's the thing batman traditionally has not been a big fan of of green lantern uh specifically hal jordan Mm -hmm. um part of it is a personality conflict between batman and hal jordan himself yep the other piece of it is batman um his big thing he doesn't have superpowers but what he does have is the ability to instill fear in a lot of people because that's how good he is like the the thing that batman does more than anything is strike fear in the hearts of criminals and whatnot how jordan is a green lantern based on the fact that he overcomes fear like nobody else on the planet yeah and so when you take that away from batman batman is just a man and how jordan realizes that batman is just a man yeah the other thing that i got from this a little bit and maybe this is my own read on the character but batman is very much driven by willpower yeah um, and that's that's the whole thing with Green Lantern. Like Green Lantern is only as strong as his willpower, and so uh, I think Batman. I don't know if they've ever done a story like this, but I kind of think he resents that a little bit. Like you get superpowers based on your willpower. Fucking, I got a willpower stronger than yours. You know, like sort of thing. Sort of. Batman's actually had the ring before, though. Oh, really? He's put it on, and awesome. Um, which was terrifying. I would imagine. But uh, he also developed kind of a new respect for Hal Jordan after that because he was like, dude, this is not easy. No. So. That's cool, actually. Um, So, the Justice League rebirth um, didn't... uh, I I don't know. I want to say this is like a six or a seven for me. Um, Out of ten, I I assume. Yeah, I definitely enjoyed it. Yeah, um, I I enjoyed it. Um, I think if there was a more cohesive overall story, or if I knew where the story was going, I might be able to give it a better, better yeah. score. But we definitely get a lead in uh, to probably like a bigger arc, but it does kind of throw you in the deep end. Like, here's this fucking big bad guy who you don't have any idea who it is, and you know whatever. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't like books that join our programming already in progress, so to speak. Yeah, that that was a little harsh, but I will say one of the things uh, on the positive side for this book, there is a lot of really good art in it. Like, there is. There's a couple of panels in particular. Like we get a very, um, like this happened in the Avengers movie where you get a shot with the entire team on the on the board, uh, and they they had a panel in there that I really liked in the book. So lots of other good stuff too. Yeah. 
Yeah. All right. So last up on our comic book docket, and to close out the show with, we have The Walking Dead 156. Which I am a big fan of. I also loved it. Like, I, as I read it, so Matt texted me the other day, and he was like, uh, did you read 156 yet? Because, damn, it's like one of the better books in a while. It, it, and it is. So going into that, um, you know, I was trying to temper expectations a little bit, but like as I read it, I was like, holy shit, you're totally right. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, Walking Dead 156 follows Negan's adventures in Alpha Land. Um, <laughs> and by that, I mean, uh, basically, trying to, trying to fit in and join the, the whisperers. Yeah, which does, which is funny because which he doesn't whisper. So he doesn't whisper. He, in fact, he runs his yelling about his cock all the time. He's always yelling about his cock or, you know, how he raped something or whatever. Uh, he's just going on about shit all the time and dropping fuck bombs, like even more so than the show does. So, uh, it's uh, kind of funny because you have that whole di- dichotomy between the fact that they're called the Whisperers and Negan definitely doesn't whisper. But the thing is, is that the Whisperers kind of have to come to grudgingly respect him because he's pretty effective. Like, okay, so Negan's trying to fit in with the Whisperers, which doesn't make any sense, but they have to come to a begrudging respect of him essentially because he's super effective at uh, lots of things. And one of the big things in the Whisperers is that strength prevails. Like, good bad doesn't matter strength is what gets you there which kind of leads us into the next big event uh yeah. which is really interesting to so, me. so so negan negan um overhears a woman screaming she's a member of the whispers clan and whatnot but she's in the process of actively being raped by like two dudes yep um she has no defenses and nope. whatnot and negan basically goes over and fucks those two up yeah he's like what the fuck are you doing you can't just rape chicks like that's wrong and uh beta shows up and he's like nope you fucked up because they had to be allowed to do whatever they were going to do because if she was strong enough to overcome them, then she would have overcome them. Yeah. But she's weak. Yeah, so uh, Beta takes uh, Negan to Alpha, and Alpha basically backs that story up. And Negan's like... Okay, so first off, I think we're skipping past some stuff because there's this whole montage, essentially, where Negan goes and you know tries to fit in with the Whispers, which is all very interesting. Uh, I don't think we would need to go through too big... Not a lot we can really talk about in that because it was mostly yeah. visual and whatnot. Mostly visual and some you know quips here and there, but <laughs> there's not really a lot we can talk about. But just suffice it to say, Negan's been with the Whispers for a little while. They're all coming to begrudgingly respect him, and then this event happens. So... Um, Anyway, Beta takes uh, Negan to Alpha, and Alpha's, like, basically, like, backing up the line. Like, if she would have been able to defend herself, like, you know, blah, 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 the strong survive, and so on. And Negan's like, bitch, are you kidding me? Because uh, you got this big tall fucker over here who's protecting you, and let's not pretend like that's not the case, uh, and so on and so forth. Uh, so Alpha's kind of, like, trying to step around that whole thing and failing pretty hard and, and so on and so um yeah man the the next thing that happened i i think and this is almost the end of the book or this pretty much is the end of the book uh is pretty hardcore and that's uh basically that negan beheads alpha like yeah he he um, overpowers her and she and, comes to talk to him yeah during during his he's kind of exiled to sleep outside of the camp now yeah and they're like well if you're meant to survive you'll survive the night outside with no help or weapons or weapons yeah, yeah. and so she comes to talk to him kind of in the night and uh, he basically starts confiding in her oh, about how yeah. he wants love and and that love was taken away and he's hollow inside and doesn't feel anymore because that was that was his that was everything he ever felt that was taken away from him. So he no longer has feelings 
And he, he starts telling her, he's like, but I know you, you feel still and you're living a lie because you say strength prevails, but this dude, you can't survive without this guy. He protects you and he feels for you. Yeah. And, <coughs> he, and he's basically saying like, no, you, you're trying to pretend to be dead inside. I am fucking dead inside. Yeah. Like, and she breaks down and starts crying about her daughter, um, who we all know has been sent to live with Rick's group and whatnot. Yeah. Um and she Lydia. Yeah, Lydia. And she she gets all weepy and close to him and then the next thing you know, Negan's fucking cutting her throat. Yep. Just boom. Done. And then, you know, just cuts her head off. And and okay, so before we move past here, there's so many weird things about this book. Uh for one, everybody hates Negan at this point. Like everybody and, and you just are constantly waiting for the betrayal the the, the you know how is he going to get rick back and you assume that the reason he's going to the whispers is because they're the way that he gets revenge against rick and right. by the end of the book i don't feel like that's what's happening at all like no I, because he totally like cuts her head off and then he's like holding it up and goes wait till rick gets a load of you like yeah he's like, gonna love this shit yeah like I just solved his problem for him, you know. Yeah. Like he, we're totally gonna be big fans. And then you pointed out something which I didn't even realize at the time, which is uh, the guy that helps Negan escape, that kid who's like sixteen or something like that, that Negan kills. He wanted to fucking kill Rick. Like yeah. that kid was not uh, entirely innocent. He was helping the you know the big bad Negan escape, and it totally backfired on him. And at that point, I thought he, Negan was just like just doing his typical being Negan, yeah, like, and fucking people up for no reason, whatnot. Yeah, but. basically, like that kid's annoying me, so I guess I'll kill him. Sort of situation. Not like you know, there's a, a means to an end here. And and so in this book, Negan basically says, you know, like I've done a lot of fucked up shit. Like I've killed a lot of people. I've done a lot of bad things. But I always did them basically, you know, for a reason. You know, like to protect people people or for the greater good sort of situation and uh from a twisted point of view you can almost see that and so all even to the end of the book you can almost see like Negan does just have a really there's, twisted point of view but he's trying to do the right thing sort of situation there's only two ways this plays out from here on out um the first way is exactly as it seems and that is that he is recognizing Rick as being the stronger leader like Rick obviously took him out took his group out absorbed his group yeah um and so this is Negan's way of basically kind of paying homage to that and, and saying, look, I get it. You're, you're better than me. Uh, let me help you. The other way this plays out. <coughs> and I don't know if you thought about this before or not yet. Um, this could be Negan, uh, dethroning Rick by discrediting Rick. Like he could be doing this, and then basically going back to the rest of the group and saying, hey, Rick is actually the one that let me out. He tasked me with doing this, and this is what happened. You know, actually, you as know? you said that, he could be, I, I would almost think it'd be like a power overthrow. Like, you bitches are also afraid of the whisperers. Well, just me went out and look what happened sort of situation. Yeah. You're like, so, uh, yeah, now that you put it that way, that makes a lot of sense. I kind of do hope, though, that this is Negan, like, b basically just the way we first interpreted, which is, let's go take this back to Rick and, and show Rick that we, we you know, we're there. Because the way that they paint him in this book is almost sort of like that could be a Negan that exists. Like, one that begrudgingly respects Rick just for reasons you said. He took out uh, the Saviors, captured Negan, and so on and so forth, and it was only through... I don't think there was ever a point where... Negan didn't respect Rick. You know what I mean? Like even from the onset, like uh, I think a little at the onset. I, don't I think, think that's maybe the case, he didn't under. I think maybe he underestimated the strength go. of yeah. Rick's resolve. 
but I think he's always had a little bit of respect for his ability to or willingness to stand up to whatever happened on behalf yeah. of his people. You know what yep. I mean? So um, I, I think we've gotten nothing but interesting stories to tell, at least for the foreseeable future in this book, which yeah, is good I, because I, the last few issues to me, like they kind of progressed a little bit, but they were kind of stale. Like I wasn't. Yeah. I was a little surprised cause uh, um, yeah. Anyway, I'm really excited for the next issue because I can't wait to see where they go with this particular storyline and what they're going to do with Negan. I and mean, we know Beta's going to go ape shit. You would have to assume he will. Yes. So, all right, everybody, that's the show for this week. You can find us on Twitter. Uh, we are at Whatever You Show. You can like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Whatever You Show. You can email us your questions, comments, and so forth to questions at whatever.co. I am at Charles E. Smith on Twitter. I'm at the brutal one. Yep, that's B R E W. Yeah, um, and that's it. We will see you next week with more nerdy shit for your holes. Later.